Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, a podcast looking back at New Who and Classic Who, and today, for me especially, the first time ever looking at the Doctor Who movie, which kind of branches across the New Who, Classic Who, the gap in the middle, etc. Somebody who absolutely adores the Doctor Who movie is my partner in time, my Dalek dodging buddy, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing very well. But I could, this could, I could have had the shittest week in existence and I'd still be ecstatic because today I get to talk the Doctor Who movie with you, mate. It's one of my absolute favourites. This was my introduction to Doctor Who. So I have got great nostalgia for this. And I know okay. it's divisive amongst the Doctor Who fandom, but I can't wait to get into it with you, pal. Yes. I mean, it is something that we've discussed pretty much from the off, wasn't it? When we sort of initially had the conversation about starting the Doctor Who pod, the the, the, the appeal, I think, was that, to me anyway, when we we were sort of creating the show, the appeal to me was that there was an aspect of classic Who that you have not seen. Mm. There's, There's a big aspect of new Who that either I've only seen once or not seen at all. Or at least I've never gone back and revisited, but obviously you are incredibly, you know, into New Who and so on. And then there was the movie, which I'd not seen and you loved. And I, I think the way that the way the show is, the way the show works, and the why why it's why it's different to other Doctor Who podcasts I've heard, is the fact that despite both of us being big Doctor Who fans, quite often the episodes are us looking at at least one of us looking at something we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's great to go in with fresh eyes and give. And I think what we do very well, just to pat ourselves on the back for a minute, we're always willing to give something a fair chance. You know, yeah. even if it, you know, if, it, if something's a bit dated or looks a bit crap, we can, you know, we can take it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is. You know, where necessary, unless Colin Baker's involved, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, just, and just roll with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, a couple of things we need to we need to touch upon, I suppose, before we get into the movie. <laughs> First of all, last week we discussed the possibility or the decision that we're going to make to effectively do a little rundown, a little countdown of all the stories we've looked at and put them in order of preference to see, you know, whereabouts New Who and Classic Who and so on sits in almost like a sort of top, I suppose it'd be top 13, wouldn't it? A list of episodes in the movie and so on. You know, our list of preference and see how mine compares to yours. After, you know, messaging back and forth, we realised that's not going to be a particularly quick conversation. That's not going to be a 10 minute conversation tagged on the end of this episode. So people... Not without intelligence. No, exactly, exactly. People who uh, enjoy the show will be happy to know that we've agreed to do an extra episode of the Doctor Who pod for this season one. And that'll be coming out same time next week. And that will be literally going back through everything we've looked at in season one and listing it in order of preference and seeing how wrong Dan thinks I am, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or indeed how wrong you think I am. And if uh, if anybody's listening along to that and has been watching along the episodes with us, uh, when that episode drops and, and we put our lists out there, uh, please let us know uh, how you'd rank them. Let us know what your favourite episodes were as you've watched them, uh, which ones you didn't like. And yeah, always up for the uh, for the discussion on the old Twitter machine. Exactly, mate. Exactly. And I guess the the next bit of news that we need to cover is, what, an hour or two before we pressed record? We yeah, know who the next Doctor is going to be. We do. We do. Uh, an actor I'm, I've never heard of, to be honest. And it, it kind of sickens me because as, as, I looked into, uh, as I looked into him, he's uh, as old as, he's about the same age as my little brother, which just makes me feel disgustingly old. 
it's uh, but like I said, I've never seen this guy in anything. It's including Gatwa, uh, who's in uh, Sex Education on Netflix, um, a series I've been meaning to watch because it involves a lot of uh, apparently involves a lot of Julian Anderson uh, talking dirty. Oh, so, nice! But, uh, but never got around to, unfortunately. So yeah, I've had a quick quick look into him. He's uh, he's a BAFTA Scotland Award winner for Best Actor in Television, and he's a three time uh, BAFTA nominated uh, Best Male Comedy Performance uh, actor. So. Fingers crossed. I'll be, I never, I never knew who Tennant was when he came in. I never knew who Matt Smith was when he came in. I was barely aware of, that Jodie Whittaker is an actor when uh, when she came in. So, fingers crossed, uh, and Kuti Gatto comes in and, and knocks it out of the park like everybody else has. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing for me. I I had a preference. I had a preference. I had I had someone who I would have loved to have seen play the Doctor, mm. and that was Michael Sheen. From Fair, yeah. Prodigal Son and, and so on. I thought he would make a fantastic Doctor Who. But that aside, and it wasn't really, it wasn't too realistic a shape, to be fair, I don't think. It wasn't really on the cards for him to take the role. Because you do tend to find a lot of a lot of Doctor Who, a lot of people who play the Doctor, they are kind of, this is their big break, or this is one of their first big roles, or they are, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say relative unknowns, but they are, that when they leave the show, they're at a bigger level than when they join the show, so to speak. You're not, unless the likes of Eccleston and so on, are obviously big names, but they're they're like the exception to the rule, I think. Yeah, I think Eccleston and Capaldi, certainly as far as New Who goes, are the exceptions to that rule because Eccleston's mm. already fairly prominent, and and Capaldi's obviously had a, an extremely long career before uh, before he was even on you know on Doctor Who's radar, including actually appearing as a uh, in one episode of Doctor Who himself. Um, when yeah. uh, when uh, Donna was a companion, so yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see the new direction and with um, with Russell T Davis back at the helm. Hopefully it uh, hopefully it comes out strong and and just hits the ground running. Well, this is it. I mean, like, like I was saying, I, I kind of had a dream scenario where it was Sheen, but that wasn't ever really going to happen. I don't think. And then I had more more of a list of people who I didn't want it to be. <laughs> who were they then? Well, James Corden was recently mentioned, so you know, fuck that. Ooh. Ooh. You know, uh, I can't stand that dude. But you know, the, 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 I, people will go, "Oh, what about this person?" And I'd be like, "Nah." You know, and again, I, if they could have done the role, been fantastic, and proved me wrong, I accept that. I'm more excited now with, with this announcement because I have no idea who this is. And you yeah. mentioned there about the sex education program. I'm the other way. I'm thinking I don't want to watch it. I want my, literally the very first time I see this person on my screen, I want it to be as the doctor. So I can literally yeah. just take him as the doctor. I mean, until it is my wife, to be fair, my wife got, got the, got the news on her phone and sent me the link. So it wasn't until I clicked on the link via WhatsApp that my wife had sent me. That was literally the first time I'd ever realized or knew or heard of this person. I didn't even know they existed before that moment clicking on that link. So it's like a completely new face to me. Yeah, same. And and you're right what you say. I'll I'll be avoiding watching sex education because I just want to take the new doctor as they're presented to me. Mm. That's that's all I want. It's that's how I've done every that's how I've taken every single doctor. Um, since 2005, so why change the habit of a lifetime? Yeah, yeah, good shape, good shape. Ah, anyway, you mention the Doctor Who movie being your kind of entryway, I suppose, into this this crazy world of a time-travelling alien in a blue box. 
I mean, what's going to happen in in this in this episode? I imagine Dan is. I've watched this for the first time today. I've made some notes, but I'm basically going to be just allowing you to explain the movie and then me give my my thoughts on it and and just basically sort of picking your brains at certain moments as well with regards to the movie and what aspects you liked about it. You say this is the your entryway into the show. This is what helps you discover Doctor Who initially. Yeah, I mean, talk talk me through that process because I mean I'm. I'm a Doctor Who fan as well of many, many years, and I'd never seen it, so... I don't really remember how it sort of came about because this was released in 96. I was about seven years old. Okay. Um, it, was a, it was a movie that was made for TV, and that's obviously where I watched it. It didn't get a cinematic release as far as I'm aware or anything like that, so I'll have just watched it either by chance or maybe my dad might have just put it on to see what it was all about. But I do remember I had, it on, I had a VHS recording of it, and I watched it over and over again but i accidentally taped over it with some rest so like some wrestling or other okay it, it was like the second half of a three-hour vhs and i'd recorded like a, a roar or something like that over it so i only had like the last part of the movie right like the very final scene and i was absolutely devastated but yeah it was it was you know one of the one of the few vhs's that i had and kept the you know kept the movie on there for as well until i was a dumbass and and got it wrong, basically. <laughs> so yeah, just watched. <laughs> I've lost count of how many times I watched it when I was younger. Yes, yeah. it was. It, especially you know, seven years old up to probably, I think I must have been maybe ten or eleven by the time I taped over it. So I watched it at least once a month, well, maybe once every two months for for four years. See, that's really interesting as well because I mean, you do get stuff like that, don't you? I mean, growing up, uh, I could probably give you virtually word for word. Uh, the whole of the film Dirty Dancing because my sister was obsessed with it and we only had one television. So mm. she would watch that film at least once a day and and vice versa. My sister could probably recite pretty much the whole of Ghostbusters because I used yeah. to watch Ghostbusters all the time. So it's kind of that sort of thing back, back in the day. That's how it was, wasn't it? But, yeah, um, it was absolutely. Uh, but the thing is with that, with the sort of what VHSs were phased out and I think, I don't think the tape just broke or something. I just decided what's the point of having the end of this movie on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I taped over it. So many years went by that I convinced myself that I'd maybe imagined the movie. Okay, right. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And it it didn't occur to me to look for it in any shops or anything like that until I saw it on TV on Christmas morning when I was about 22, 23. Wow, okay. So I'd not seen it since I was about 11 in full. So yeah, about twelve years later, I just I sat there for an hour on Christmas morning, just watching this, just going, "Oh, it wasn't something I invented in my head when I was a kid." <laughs> it's funny how the mind works. Yeah, and then and then I went and found it in HMV. You know, they used to do like the uh, the classic Who with the uh, the silver covers. Yes, silver and grey covers. Yeah, I found one of them for got it for about a fiver. Best day ever. So, I suppose from that, then I sort of you know slightly leaving topic i guess it, you, you loved the doctor who movie when you were six seven eight years of age you rediscovered it in your early 20s and were crazy excited and, and so on to have another copy and watch it again but yeah until we started this project you hadn't watched any classic who at all but you you loved the idea of new who when that came out how, how is that is it just something you looked at and thought ah you know as a youngster maybe oh, it's black and white it's a bit old but my kids now they won't watch it because it looks old and crusty to them is that something that maybe swerved you when you were younger? Or it was, I don't it was, a bit, 
It was partly that, um, where it's like, ah, it looks old and a bit shit, you know. When yeah, yeah. When you know, when you're in your early twenties and you've got that like that lizard brain that just <laughs> you look back and you think, what was I thinking? What was I actually yeah. doing in my early twenties? Um, <laughs> it was partially that, but then also there was so much of it. I just I didn't oh. know where I, I just didn't know where to start. So yeah. I'd be, like, I don't know if you remember how HMV used to set up. They'd have them all in order, like almost in order. But then there were so many, so many different doctors and and all that. I just look at it and just go, uh, no, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna get the release of the ones that I've already seen that I know I like. Yeah. Rather than risk spending money that I don't really have, you know, because you know, in my in my late teens, early twenties, in a you know working a working a part time retail job and going to college and stuff, and or, you know only just out of uni. Um, I'd rather spend my money on something I know I'm going to rewatch over and over again that I already like. It's like we've said yeah. before about that, um, you know, that entertainment sort of comfort blanket when you're when you're trolling Netflix. Yes, yeah, exactly. And as well, you, you know, you say about there being such a volume of it as well. I can remember in HMV or R Price or wherever it was, they'd have the VHS tapes all stacked up as you described, but then the odd story, it's sort of a Triton, Hartnell, Pertwee kind of era where they had many, many episodes, would be like a double tape. It'd be The box would be twice as wide because it would take two VHS tapes to get all the episodes on. And I was just looking at it and think, oh my God, how long is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you get the old attention, you get the, the old attention span um, just, just going nope before you've even started it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, let's let's get to the movie now, then we'll, we'll sort of talk through the film itself and, and, and our thoughts on it. Uh, Initially, very quickly, you'll be happy to know, Dan, I'm not going to shit all over this. Oh, I thought I was looking forward to an argument. <laughs> yeah, you, you can almost collectively hear our listeners all just switching off now going, ah, oh, bloody hell. No, <laughs> no confrontation. Sod it. We'll hear, we'll, we'll hear all they got to say next week. <laughs> uh, it's not, I'm Australian, it's not, it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but on the other side of the coin, it's not crap. I mean, you, you say loads of people on Twitter either love it or hate it, or Doctor Who fans are either love it or hate it. I suppose I'm kind of the exception to the rule in a way because I'm kind of sat in the middle thinking, yeah, it's all right, it's not bad. Yeah, I think it, but I think it was because at the time it came out, it was '96, so it was seven years after Doctor Who had gone off the air, mm-hmm. and this was an American-produced thing to try and relaunch, yeah. you know, relaunch the franchise and get a series over for American TV. So it's not what sort of classic who fans would consider quote unquote proper doctor who, you yeah. know, if they're that, if they're that sort of gatekeeping knobhead, um, it is a bit American in places. And, and there are certain things that do grind my gears about it now that I've got older that I've noticed and we'll come to that. But yeah, it was just, it, there was, I think there was a lot of, sorry, there wasn't, is a lot of people who just say that's not proper doctor who right. and, and classic is sort of the, it's a bit like the um, what's that? What's that? Sort of redheaded stepchild of the uh, yeah of the franchise, so to speak. But even to be fair, it didn't even go over that well in America, where it was made for. It got about five point six million viewers, which is about a nine percent share of the audience. Um, but over here, it broadcast about uh, two weeks after it broadcast in America, and it got nine million viewers. Okay, so. Yeah, it did well initially. Um, I think I just yeah, like I said, I think uh, time and the uh, time and the internet haven't been kind to uh, haven't been kind to the movie. Mm. I mean, uh, you say about the the way it's it's quite American. 
Now, I'm not saying this in a way of it being a bad thing here, but I mean, you know, I've watched plenty of American shows. It's not, uh, it's not that I hate American television. However, this is Doctor Who, and it to me it should be a kind of a certain way. Even you know, classic Who, New Who, and so on. They've all got that same sort of British feel to it because it's a British television program, of course. This has that American feel to it, and that is probably my biggest issue with the movie, as opposed to anything in the movie itself. Yeah, I think we'll get to some parts of it, but there are two. There are some bits where it's. I can see why people would think it's almost a bit too slick or a bit too polished and a bit too a bit too grand, you know, where the where some of the music and the effects are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels. I think. I think calling it American is maybe a bit harsh. I think it's a bit too a bit too Hollywood in places. But then it's an American produced movie, so it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's it's one way you do have to take it with a pinch of salt and just accept that it's a product of of its environment. Yeah, I mean, with regards to that, I, I suppose I could just list off what I'm thinking here now rather than specific scenes and so on, but there are certain moments through the film that I got vibes of other shows from. Mm. So there are certain moments, particularly early on, where I got kind of... And, and it's the way it's filmed, it's the way it's, I, I suppose, uh, different... Stuff being filmed in different eras to me has different, a different, just a different feel to it. Whether it's the colours they use or the lighting or however it's done, I don't know. But it's a, mm-hmm. there's a different sort of feel to different things from different eras. There are moments in this film when I got quite strong Power Rangers vibes early on. All right, okay. Because of the way it just felt, but that was very early on, and then that that didn't resurface. But it felt a lot, especially with some of the effects and almost the imagery as well like the, the you know the the scenes towards the end of the film where where everything, everything seems to be quite circular and they're surrounding the, the eye which we'll get to shortly I'm, I'm getting vibes of like other mid-90s shows so very much of its time like you said so very much like i felt you know vibes sort of like charmed the, the, the program from charmed okay. um buffy the vampire slayer that kind of that kind of mid nineties, I suppose, I don't know, early to mid teens kind of TV American show feel to it. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I've, I've not considered the sort of Buffy um, link until you said it, but yeah, I can see it. And, and there are certain elements of this that are a bit, are a touch power Rangers, shall we say, but um, yeah, I think I'll tell you what, since we've got that, um, we've got that under our belt. Shall we, uh, Shall we get into the uh, get into the movie itself? Yeah, yeah, let's crack on. So we start off with the, it's a voiceover from Paul McGann. Uh, it's talking about how the master was uh, tr- faced a trial on Scarrow, and he was executed. Uh, demanded that the doctor take his remains back to Gallifrey. So that's the the basic premise of the film. And then we see the master get executed in some form of human sized blender, right? Um, which. I don't know why it's always, it's always it reminds me of two things that the, the sort of the holding slash execution apparatus that's on the master. It it's the shape of a blender for one, yeah. But also, it, this is very specific in Batman Forever, which you've probably never seen. No, I haven't. <laughs> the Riddler uses these devices to essentially project three D TV into the mind, uh, but they're almost exactly an identical shape to that thing that the master's executed in. 
But Batman Forever is another film that I grew up absolutely loving as a kid. So I've always got a kick out of the similarities <laughs> just in that. I'm probably the only person who's ever made that connection, but there oh, okay. it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we're straight into the intro off that. So I've got to ask, what did you think to it? I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what I expected. But I, I, I don't know what I expected, but the fact that it's a movie in my head even though it's made for TV and so on, the fact that it's a movie in my head made me think that we wouldn't get the intro as we know it. Okay. I don't know why I've got no reason to draw that conclusion, but I just, I just kind of assumed that we wouldn't get the intro as you and I have been commenting on with, with the television shows. I just thought it's a movie. It's going to start differently. But when it did happen, my first thought was, oh, bloody hell, I better pay attention because Dan's going to ask me about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but honestly, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. I don't know if it's because... I don't know if it's because I didn't expect it and then all of a sudden I had this kind of... Because it is there's differences straight away in the movie to what I have been watching elsewhere in Classic mm. and New Who. So there's differences right away, right at the very beginning. And then I almost get this little nugget of familiarity with the intro and the music and, and i think that helped when i was watching it so ultimately i really enjoyed the intro because it did sort of have that air of okay i know what this is okay this is familiar this is, does that make sense yeah so it's sort of a pleasant surprise isn't it um, yeah but i like what they did because they had they included like the master's creepy eyes as we get to later on it was a, a solid enough logo it was it was nothing too flash um the music was, it was like almost full orchestral version mm. of, uh, of of Doctor, which is one of those elements that I felt was maybe just a little bit too grand. But again, they had to they, they had to pull something out for the occasion, didn't they? You know, it's a movie. It's, yeah. It's got to be, it's got to ramp up. Um, but one thing I absolutely loved was the interpretation of the Vortex. You know, right. with all the swirling colours and the asteroids, and they've got the sort of the names coming at us with the fonts. But then, for '96, you see the TARDIS in flight. That that's not half bad. No, Looks a bit ropey not. now, but for '96, that was really good. Yeah, definitely. It it just reminded me of. It reminded me of, and it so sounds so bloody stupid to say, but it reminded me of Doctor Who, <laughs> because it is yeah. it, it is all the stuff that we've had already in the TV show. I mean, you say about the logo there. Uh, what I read up about earlier on whilst, you know, just sort of doing a bit of reading before sitting down to talk with you now is that they wanted the logo to be a throwback, but updated. So they literally mm. just took the logo used for the John Pertwee era and tweaked it slightly. Absolutely so when, fine with that. Yeah. When it came <laughs> up on screen, I was like, Oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really nice sort of thing to look at. And, and like I say, a bit of familiarity and, It'll draw, you know, draw current existing fans in, but it's it's cool enough to to draw, you know, people maybe just sort of catching it in passing. And mm. another thing I think this does really well is right from the off, it doesn't piss about. It's you've got the premise with the master being executed and, and his remains being taken to Gallifrey. It then introduces the li uh, the lives limit, saying that the master had used them all up. Then you see Sylvester McCoy using the Sonic to seal this box with the master's remains in it. And yeah. then you get the line, even in death, I didn't trust him, which is brilliant. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, again, the fact that the fact that McCoy is involved, I loved. 
Yeah, it, it's it been so got easy. Back. Yeah, it could have been so easy for them to go. Okay, we're making this, uh, you know, this this TV movie, almost acting as a pilot to to see if we can get a series picked up. And like you said, Dan, it's very it's very American. It's being produced by an American company. They could have quite easily have just gone on and done what they wanted. They could have not had you know any references to previous stuff they could have just gone here's the doctor here's the story back but the fact that they had mccoy and we had him we had him basically depart the show on screen which is a brilliant you know brilliant aspect of doctor who in itself as we know but with with a regeneration scene i loved that because when who was cancelled in 89 mccoy didn't get his goodbye mccoy didn't get his regeneration scene and that the fact that we do years later in the movie i think it's a really great way of just putting a bow on it yeah, the the only thing that could have made it better for me, you know, looking back and and having watched Sylvester McCoy's final serial, is if they'd found a way to include Ace. Yeah, but from an American point of view, I can see why they'd want American sort of companions, if you like. Yeah, coming in for the movie because the, the, that's their target audience, so it does make sense. Um, just yeah, I've got some further thoughts on on Sylvester McCoy later on that we'll get to because uh, you know about this regeneration and whatnot. Okay, uh, we'll come to that very quickly. Um, there's a great another great line from McGann's voiceover where he says, "In all my travels through time and space and nearing the end of my seventh life, I was beginning to realise you could never be too careful." Now we've said a lot before about how foreshadowing can be sort of quite on the nose. Mm. This is sort of on the nose, but in a good way because thinking, "Ooh, this is setting up for something big." Yeah, um, I quite I quite like that line. And then we see a really expansive TARDIS interior. It's like console. Um, it's, it's almost like, like it's in a warehouse, a library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's got his little he's got his little you know chair set up for reading and his cup of tea. He's got a record player on. There's there's units down one side. There's like I say, a library on one on on another side. But I kind of like it. Yeah. It's all yeah, a bit haphazard and eclectic, which is essentially what the Doctor is. Exactly. It's it's all you, you've got. You've got the two worlds, I, I guess, kind of clashing. You've got the 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 dusty old books and the, the him sitting there in this tatty old chair drinking his cup of tea, and then right next to him, or well, not right next to him, but you know, a few yards away, you've got all the wee wee beep boop, all the sci fi stuff yeah. <laughs> set up there to basically help this this expansive living room stroke library stroke time machine travel <laughs> and it is like two separate worlds colliding together in a real odd way which is i think a really good metaphor for the doctor himself yeah absolutely i'm, I'm completely there with you on that it's uh, i really like it it's it's, it's just a, a great way it's just a great interpretation of it mm. you know i know i know we're now we've been used to just a console room and then things branching off it but I've not got, and it works for TV. But I'm I'm, I'm all for this version of it as well. But it's, it, it's when the camera's moving through, and you notice certain little touches in there, like he's got a 900 year diary. Yeah, and it it says on there's a, a little thing on the console which says where they're going and when. So he's you know he's bound for Gallifrey in the Rassilon era. And Sylvester McCoy sat there. He's eating a jelly baby, and he's got a cup of tea, and he's reading the Time Machine by H. G. Wells. <laughs> It's just brilliant. I love stuff like that. What what did they call it? 
it was always a thing that put in, I remember when I was studying English literature at college and they'd call it the, the mise-en-scene with, you know, the bits, little bits and pieces you see in the background. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Sort of little bits, great. Yeah. And the, uh, but all this is, while all this is going on, the, uh, the, the, the box with the master's remains in is, is cracking open mm. and talk about things on the nose. The record starts skipping on the word time. Yeah. Which was a bit like, mm, all right, there's there's on the nose good, and then there's two on the nose, but at the same time, I kind of I kind of have to cut it a bit of slack because I, it, it's it almost goes on to the like the daft fun side of things. Yeah, that's the thing. It's cheesy. Don't get me wrong. And there's lots in this film. I'm going to use this term a lot. I think it's cheesy, but yeah. it's not cheesy in a roll your eyes. Oh God, bad way. It's cheesy and a, it makes me smile. It's like, oh, okay, you know, it's not. It's, it's endearing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just putting words in your mouth now because because uh, I love it and I want you to love it as much as I do. <laughs> if we're not going, if we're not going, if we're not going to have an argument, um, <laughs> um, the master's remains are essentially a silvery blob of goop on the floor, and somehow gets into the TARDIS console, and we're crash landing on Earth essentially. I mean, with regards to that goo, I mean, I. it looks a little bit like when you've, you know, when you've had a cold and the cold's going away and your snot's gone to, like, being see-through watery stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm, I mean? just, getting, I'm just getting over a cold at the minute. Yes, yeah, so you might have the master coming out your nose. It's, <laughs> or it reminded me... <laughs> or it reminded me of um, where I work. We it was, it's, it's automatic doors and lots of big glass panels getting stuck together and so on. And we use this silicon stuff in a gun to seal it all. Mm. And it looks just like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I could have done those special effects for them. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, but again, you know, it's the time that it's the time. Uh, what am I fucking trying to say? It's that era and that's all they had to work with. No, no, I'm not um, saying it looked bad. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying no, it, it looked bad. It's, we'll have a laugh. We'll have a laugh at the master's remains in a bit though. Um, because, because okay. it does, it, it just makes me chuckle nowadays. Um, I did like the camera cut from because we see the Earth from space as the TARDIS is sort of crash landing, and then it cuts straight to a fisheye, and we're in uh, in San Francisco's Chinatown. Yeah, and we got th- sort of three. I suppose you'd, at the time that have been called punk kids. You know, want to be want to be gangsters running through traffic. There's there's people chasing them on bikes and and, and gangsters in cars. And effectively, they get. Uh, they get cornered in an alleyway. Um, the thing they've got away though, and one of them just like hits a spin kick for a high five, which was cool as shit. Yeah, I wish I could do that. <laughs> oh, great. Bri- I think I've I think I've cracked my hip just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and these you know these gangsters emerge because they've been hiding you know amongst all the bins and whatnot, and they just open fire with Uzis, which actually was uh, th- that scene was cut from. Uh, from the UK airing because it oh, really? was, yeah, because it was so close to uh, Dunblane time-wise. Right. Okay, so which yeah. understandable, really. Yeah, um, I weren't too keen on that, to be fair. The the way that they came out of the bins and then they're, they're just shooting, you know, these machine guns and the one kid doesn't get hit. It's a little bit, it's a little bit James yeah. Bond when, when all the bad guys, or, or Star Wars, when all the bad guys are shooting and none of them are a good shot. 
you know? Yeah. And the fact that they emerged from the bins, okay, visually, it was a case of, whoa, okay, there's loads of gangsters there. But it's like, well, why would they be hiding there? They don't know what, exactly where these kids are going to run, do they? Unless the unless the other gang members have, have sort of orchestrated it to say, right, so you come from here at this time, you come, and then the, we've just like full them, funnel them okay. you know, into this area. Which yeah, kind of hanged be, them down, sort of herd them into a, that, that alleyway sort of thing. Yeah, into that dead end. Yeah. But um, then we get, you know, uh, who will come to know as Lee is, is on his own at the uh, the gangster's mercy, but the TARDIS materialises in front of him, which is quite lucky. Mm. And then uh, the, the the gangsters fire on the TARDIS. It does nothing because it's the TARDIS. Sylvester McCoy, the Doctor, emerges and just immediately gets shot, yeah. which <laughs> on the surface of it there is a, is sort of an unceremonious end to McCoy. It's kind of like he's he's been on a he's been he's been in America five seconds and he's been shot. Yeah, it's ticking some stereotypes there potentially. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Because um, how did you feel though seeing that? Essentially seeing you because Sylvester McCoy um, was your doctor. How did you feel effectively seeing him just get gunned down? I wasn't bothered by how it happened, to be honest. No, sorry, that's not accurate. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't bothered with. The actual act of it, he's been, he's been, I suppose, killed off or pushed into regeneration by getting shot. That that side of things didn't bother me. What bothered me was the way the TARDIS lands and the Doctor has just been incredibly careless and just opened the door and to get shot at. Everything we've seen on Doctor Who this season in on the Doctor Who pod, the Doctor would always look at a monitor to see what's out there. Or he checks yeah. some readings on the console to see what's going on. You wouldn't just, especially when you see that the doctor is panicking because it's it's shown up on a screen that they're making effectively an emergency landing, mm-hmm. and then they do make this emergency landing, and he's just completely carelessly opened the door and walked into gunfire. That just—I mean, it's a tiny little thing, but that is, is a little plot hole there that doesn't quite work for me because it's almost like that's not what the doctor I know would do. Yeah. That, me as well, especially looking back on it now. So you know, with my older, wiser eyes, it it just it, yeah, it just rubs me up the wrong way. Um, mm. it, it's the first sort of thing in this movie where I'm just like, mm, that could have been better because at the very least, you hear the bullets hitting the door. Yeah, but exactly. On the flip side, we we do get some really good stuff out of McCoy coming up and and being. And you know his sort of prolonged death scene, and how he, um, and just, I just think he's superb in this in sort of his last couple of scenes. Because even when when Lee's checking on him, he's there saying timing malfunction. He, he's very, you can see the fear in his face as he's pointing to the keyhole where the master's just like oozing out of. Yeah. <laughs> and but you can hear see in his face and hear the fear in his voice as he's saying, "Stop it, stop!" It. But he's been shot, so he's, he's still trying to do this as he's effectively dying. Mm-hmm. I thought and of course, to anyone, to anyone, sorry, anyone who interacts with him is just naturally going to assume assume he's a bit delirious because he's in pain, he's been shot, and he's dying, and so on. They're not going to think that he's genuinely trying to point out some issue. They're just going to think the guy's, you know, yeah, exactly. And at this point as well, I just want to mention um, the the guy who plays uh, Chang Lee, uh, Yi Ji So. He actually came back to Doctor Who uh, as a voice actor in a mini series in two thousand and two. Uh, it was called Real Time, and it had uh, Colin Baker as the Doctor and uh, the comedian Stuart Lee uh, doing a voice as well. 
Oh, wow, okay. So he actually came oh. back to Doctor Who, which is which is a nice touch. And next up, we see Eric Roberts. Now, I've been. I thought I knew who Eric Roberts was before I saw this film. Right. Turns out I didn't. Or at least I don't think I did, because I tried to look through Eric Roberts's filmography. But that man might be the most prolific actor of all time. On IMDb, he has 670 credits to his name. Why? And I'll be honest, I ain't trolling through all that. No, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I've seen it him in some much. stuff. I've seen him in some stuff. I mean, Sharon watches a lot of these American cop shows, and Sharon, my wife, who's unaware, watches a lot of these American cop shows and so on. And he pops up in a lot of those in a certain era, probably a few years after this film was made, to be fair. Sorry, he was the uh, the bad guy in the first Expendables as well. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Wait. I know, I know, I've seen that. I've seen the second one as well. Bloody hell. I know, it's mad, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> Wibbly wobbly timey wimey, so I've seen a movie finally. Yeah, um, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, Eric Roberts comes in, he's, he's effectively the ambulance driver, Um they uh, very clearly let us know that it's December 30th, 1999, um, which I think I can't really remember for 96, but there was, I, I remember there being a lot of panic about Y2K yes. and what would happen to computers and, and, and various systems when it ticked over to the year 2000. Um, huge amount of stress and, and, and fear mongering and all the rest of it. Um, so I don't really know if, the, if that was sort of going on in 96. Uh, I don't know if you can remember. Um, well, 96, I'd have been, what, 15, 16? I'd have been just leaving school. And I don't think it entered my life that that sort of concern was around when I was at school. So I would think maybe not. But again, it's a long time ago. So, you know, but, but it wasn't literally just a case of, you know, we got to December 99 and everyone suddenly went, oh shit, hang on, what if this happens? There was like a couple of years of build-up and people being concerned and, you know, the big wigs, the scientists and so on, sort of thinking about putting stuff in place to stop these potential disasters happening and all this sort of stuff. And I remember that being a conversation for, for a long time. I don't remember it when I was still at school, though, and I would have still been at school mm-hmm. in 96. So maybe, but again, maybe it just didn't enter my world, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Was, I was just curious. Um, so they're, they're, in the, they're in the ambulance on the way to... Uh, uh, on the way to the hospital, obviously, and uh, Eric Roberts has a, a line that's again so American. Saying, "I hope this guy's rich because where he's going, we better be rich." And yeah. That, it, as, as as an Englishman, that is such a bizarre concept. Yeah, totally. I I don't understand how. Again, it's, it's a different different culture, different, different way, of different yeah. things. But yeah, so bizarre. yeah, we, we we won't go into the politics behind that. And we're in the. Uh, the back of the ambulance as, uh, as the doctor's going in for his x-ray and we see um, we see the master's remains slithering in that now sort of looks like a little uh, almost a little bit snake-like yeah exactly that's, what I, that's the vibe I got yeah it's like a see-through snake yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've called it master snake in my notes um, popping myself because I'm a big Metal Gear Solid fan and the main character in that's called Snake okay. um, you've got, <laughs> you got, you got to entertain yourself a little bit sometimes you know a little bit extra <laughs> There's, uh, there's problems with the x-rays because show, it's showing two hearts. Uh, they think it's a double exposure. And they're saying about one bullet's gone through the shoulder, but the other two are in his left leg. So, which makes me think, if that's the case... Oh, no, wait, no, I nearly answered my own question. Sorry, I do this every time I watch it. I look at it and I think, well, if, if one's gone through his shoulder with no damage and the other two are in his leg, how is he dying? 
Right. And then I remember the next scene effectively kills him because they've, they say his heart's going in, going like crazy, so they're calling cardiology because he's, his heart rate's at, th- at over 300. Mm. And they obviously think he's human. But we get this, uh, we, we get the surgeon being called in, who's, who's called Grace. She's at the opera when a beeper goes off and get, you know, has to exit and, you know, run into surgery in this, you know, really, you know, really huge, like flowing ball gown, essentially. See, this is, I've got a note on this. This is one moment where I did roll my eyes a little bit because the way it was shot, we're at the one end of the corridor, aren't we? As, as the viewer, we're at the one end of the corridor looking down and she's running. Yeah. To, and in the story, it makes sense. She's, she's on call, but she's not, she's not in the hospital at that time. She's, she's, like, she's, she's off work, but she's on call. Her beep has gone off. She's got to get there as soon as possible. So she's at the opera. So she arrives in, in, in a ball gown, as you described, Dan. So it does make sense to what's going on to her. And she's running through this quite narrow corridor with lots of people doing, uh, you know, lots of people working away either side of her, lots of busy people there. And it almost goes not into full slow-mo, but they slow it down. Yeah, it's, it's one of the few scenes in this film where there's unnecessary slow-mo. Yeah, and it's just like, I'm watching, oh, like, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit much. This is a bit, you know. I like obviously this this lady ends up being effectively the the companion for for the movie, doesn't she? Yeah. I like when you meet a companion and it's just a case of they happen a lot. They just drop into a situation and before you know it, you like them and then they're traveling with the doctor. It's kind of being, you know very low key and so on. Here we've literally got a companion running in slow mo with a big dress bellowing behind them and dramatic faces and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that was a bit OTT for me. Yeah, maybe a bit. Um, but like I said, at least there's a premise for it. It was just the unnecessary slow-mo that does my head in. Yeah, that's the main thing for me as well. That's the main thing for me, yeah. yeah. Um, but she, she's prepping for surgery. She gets a call from the, from the fella who was sort of rolling his eyes as, uh, as she left. Now, here's what I don't get about this whole situation. This guy, who we never actually hear him speak, mm. but this guy, Brian, must be a colossal dick. Oh, totally. Because because he's whinging that his girlfriend's had to leave to go and perform to effectively go and save somebody's life. Yeah. And from context, it's kind of like, well, they must have been together a while, so he must know. He must know what he's in for. The thing is, even if you're not together a while, if you're with someone in that role, if you're, you know, if if, yeah. if your if your other half is a doctor or whatever in a, not even a doctor. I mean, one of Sharon's friends, he literally just walks on the work works, sorry for a water company. He's on call some weekends. Mm. You know, my dad used to be a recovery driver. He's on call. These yeah. things happen. You know, if you're with someone whose job entails that you must know on those certain dates where you are listed in the calendar as being on call, the beeper goes, you go. That's yeah. the life you're kind of signing up for. And it's not even like this person's just nipping off to pick up a broken down car like my dad used to. She's trying to save lives. So this guy is an absolute cock. Yeah, it's amazing how they manage to... It's, it's, no matter what era of Doctor Who we're in, they manages to be a bastard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's managed to do it without even saying a word. All yeah. we've seen him do is roll his eyes, uh, yeah. which is quite impressive. Um but they put on uh, the same aria that they, were li- that they were listening to at the opera. It's Madame Butterfly by Puccini. And then we get, again, really dramatic, but I think really well done. The Doctor just sitting bolt upright. Uh, sorry, no, he, he wakes up first, identifies the music, 
urges them to stop because he's not human and he needs a beryllium atomic clock. They apply more anaesthetic as he's and as he's going out, he's still saying, I'm not human, I'm not human, I'm not human, as he drops off. Yeah. Grace is trying to say, look, we're trying to fix your heart, but, you know, as, she, as she would. And then out of nowhere, Celeste McCoy, doctor, just sits bolt upright, yelling about a timing malfunction in the master. Yeah. I thought this was brilliant. I think it's really good. You get the, I suppose, the sort of battling emotions, don't you? Because you've got the medical staff there who think they're doing the right thing they they believe what they're doing is for the best they're trying to save in their eyes this human from you know from, from dying because they've been shot and so on mm. but the doctor has got this level of paranoia crazy panic and so on because he knows <laughs> what's going on and it's almost like it's almost like you've got these two these two sort of groups well not even groups these two people the doctor and and the medical staff both trying to do what they think is right mm. but both kind of clashing and getting it wrong and, and so on. It's, it's quite an interesting, quite an interesting scene, really. And Sebastian McCoy is fantastic in it. Yeah, he really is. And, and they're, they're getting sedated and under anaesthetic. And it, it's, uh, I think they call the surgery in electrophysiology with a microsurgical probe. So not quite we will beat boot, but close. Getting there. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> well, essentially the head of the hospital showing showing investors around, which again is a bit odd to me. Yeah. But... What, what is also odd to me is the fact that they're doing this surgery while discussing Grace's love life, and then she realises that she's lost because obviously the doctor's got a different, um, you know, different vascular system to us yeah. humans. So you know she's going to be. Uh, he's got you know he's got another heart to wiring essentially, and who knows what else. And so, you know she's thinking that she's in the subclavian, but should be in the bronchiocephalic uh, uh, artery or vein or whatever. And you know they're having a giggle saying, "Not unless he's a donkey." <laughs> and uh, the bit that gets me she, she says let me try so it says i'm going to try something and the doctor has a massive seizure seizure that snaps the probe yeah so he's got this thing stuck in him they're trying to defibrillate him and it's all again getting very dramatic because this is all happening as the uh, as the music reaches a crescendo and then the doctor wakes up screams and dies so what on the on the surface when he just gets shot and it feels like very unceremonious this is probably, to my knowledge at least, with the, um, you know, with New Who, this is one of the most dramatic deaths a doctor's ever had. Mm. Yeah, it I was so. like, just whoa, that was a lot. Because <laughs> it was also incredibly, it was incredibly human. Mm. You know, it's not like I mean, in in New Who, especially, you see the doctor, certain things happen, and then they start glowing and they regenerate it, and so on. In classic here, obviously, you get a bit of that in later series, but things like Tom Baker, when, when he regenerated Peter Davidson, he had a big fall, but you don't see the fall. You see him just scan past the camera and then he's on the floor uh, and, and that sort of thing. But here, you've seen the Doctor get shot and then you've basically followed him all the way up to this point where he's, he's having stuff. Know, put in him and, and and all this sort of stuff's going on and the mad panic and so on and then then he basically dies it is incredibly intense in comparison to what we get with other regenerations yeah and I have to say I like it I, I, not every regeneration needs to be like that but this fits yeah totally yeah um, just a little after that uh, the, essentially tag him as a John Burks he's got no ID and take him for an autopsy um, Grace is studying his x-rays 
and realising it's not a double exposure. Um, so she's she's fully buying in that he's got two hearts, mm. which is you know one of the smarter things people do in this movie. Um, <laughs> A nurse wakes up Lee, who's still there, which this is the thing for an aspiring gangster, at least at this point. Lee's not a bad kid. This guy, you know, this stranger's got shot on his on, you know, just by chance near him. And Lee, to, you know, goes with him to the hospital, waits around for him and all this. It's just like he didn't have to do that. He could have dropped him off and pissed off. Yeah, that's true. I do kind of find it a little bit out of character as well with what he was saying at the beginning. When you mentioned about um, the, the master, not, not the master, the person the master sort of takes over, the the ambulance driver saying, I hope this guy is as rich because where he's going, it's going to be expensive. Mm. <laughs> Lee wouldn't sign a form. He wouldn't, he didn't want to get involved at all. To me, yeah. that would lean towards more of once the doctor has been took away for surgery, you bolt and get out of there. Yeah. Whereas Lee sits around, Grace breaks the news of the doctor's death and all Lee wants to do is nick his stuff. Yeah. Which is a bit boring character, I suppose. You know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Stuff, but yeah. Um, we, when we get the sort of humorous visual of, of Lee bolting off and Grace trying to chase him down, still wearing a, uh, still wearing a gown, <laughs> which was just a bit, it's a bit ridiculous, but it was abusing. Um, it's a little thing to pick up on, but I like the aerial shots of San Francisco. Right, yeah. Just after this, I thought, you know, it's, it's fairly rare that, that that we see that sort of thing again. You know, it's the sort of thing that'll crop up in a movie. But we cut to uh, yeah, Bruce. It's, it is. The, it's, um, sorry, sorry, Dan. It's a very American no, no, no. movie kind of thing, isn't it? Again, you look at you look at classic Who, for example, when we've had um, the Doctor, look at Hartnell as an example. I know it's 20 odd years, 30 years beforehand, but when they've arrived in London, we don't see London, you know, for Not the for first a while, Yeah, and it's literally just we're told this is London, and then they go out and film in certain areas to show you it is London, but everything else is obviously not where they say it is here. The, the big sweeping camera angles and so on, and the shots of the bridge, and that I thought was great. Yeah, it is. It's just like I said, ramping everything up. Um, which they obviously couldn't do in the series for, for budget reasons. Mm. But we get the um, we get a first sort of tropey little thing. We've got Eric Roberts there, Bruce, snoring like hell, keeping his wife awake. And it's a weird thing to pick up on, but how thick did that duvet look that they were sleeping under? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's San Francisco. Does it really get that cold? I don't know, man. I don't know. But yeah, he was snoring like a trooper as well, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, he was, yeah, until... Uh, until we, get, until we get the first bit of uh, CGI that's a bit OTT for me. We get the Master's remains slithering out of his jacket, which looks cool because, you know, you just see the sleeve bulge and all that. And then you realise it's gone like a full-on, like, ghost viper. Yeah. Just there, you know, like hissing and, and baring its teeth and all sorts before it does its best impression of Casper the Friendly Ghost and just forces its way into Eric Roberts' mouth to possess him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be honest, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that ever really gets explained, does it? That no. the master's the master's remains as broken out of a box as this goo that turns into a snake, which then can possess an ambulance driver. I, 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 did, I not, didn't even oh, think God. about it. And, and, sorry, sorry, come on, it sounds silly when you say it like that. <laughs> well, I didn't even think about it until literally right this moment. I didn't even think about it until literally right this second. Uh, well, that never really gets explained. When I'm watching the film, I just kind of take it for granted and accept it. But now we're discussing it afterwards. I'm kind of thinking, well, why does that happen? 
Why is it like that? Because surely he would die or he would regenerate. That's just kind of how it works, isn't it? You'd think so, but it's it's kind of alluded to, you know, when when the voiceover saying, you know, even in death, I didn't trust him. Mm. It's kind of like, is it really beyond the master's capabilities to to find a way to prolong his life enough to to find a host and and, and all the rest of it? Is it no, really beyond his capabilities? But the, I don't know. I don't, like he says, you're watching it through. Does it really need explaining? It'd be nice to know, but in the context of the film, you, you didn't miss the the explanation on, on the first watch, did you? You, you didn't. You no. know, it wasn't something you were clamouring for, as you say. No, and I suppose I'm looking at this as a big Doctor Who fan. They're they're mm. doing this this pilot to attract a new audience, so they wouldn't ask those kind of questions. I suppose they would just kind of accept it. Whereas people who've been watching Doctor Who for years might. But that's the difference in the audiences, I guess. Yeah, and to be fair, this is with the lack of explanation. That is maybe one of the things where that did you know that can have people saying, "Well, that's not proper Doctor Who," or you know whatever they want okay. to say about it. I can see that maybe you know something like that turning turning people off it, but it's yeah, again, not something I've really pondered too much. I think like a lot of uh, like a lot of <laughs> well, a lot of Doctor Who in general. It's uh, as long as you don't think about it too much, it's all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, um, with, okay. regards to the re, with regards to the regeneration, then are we getting to that now? Or? Uh, just about, yeah, because I just wanted to uh, say first, we go back to the morgue at this point, and there's uh, there's a bloke there saying, you know, John Doe on the tone, treating him like he's a you know spa guest, saying they've got a nice autopsy booked in for you, uh, followed by a sauna or a Swedish herbal wrap. What's your pleasure? <laughs> I, can't tell, I can't tell if this guy's a dickhead or a genius. Right. Because just something like that, like that is, pro- if I was working that job, that's probably something I'd say. Yeah, I'd go one or two ways. I'd either be jokey and laughy and have to talk like that, or I'd be freaked out being surrounded by all the dead boys. Yeah, but this guy is Will Sasso, and there's a WCW connection. Oh, okay. With the, uh, you because know, uh, we've said many times, we're both big wrestling fans, Sai in particular is a big WCW fan. I oh, am. Yeah. Um, so Will Sasso plays Pete, who was the guy in the mob just here at this point. Uh, Will Sasso, when he was part of Mad TV, uh, did an angle with Bret Hart. Uh, Bret was a guest on Mad TV. They got into a, they got in, you know, got into a, into an encounter, and uh, and Bret and Will Sasso had a match on Nitro. Why? I'm going to look forward to that on Nitro Nights when we get that far into it, mate. Yeah, it's it's a little while enough. I think I found the I found did find the link on YouTube. If you remind me later, I'll uh, I'll just fire it across so you can uh, so you can see the match. Yeah, in a shock, great. In a shock to no one, Will Sasso loses tapping out to the sharpshooter. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> 20, twenty odd years later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's my specialty. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where we're at. Uh, the doctor's been put into uh, basically put into a big fridge. Uh, the master's going to try and wake up uh, uh, going to wake up in Bruce's body uh, we, get, we get that amusing bit where he sounds where Bruce sounds like he's dying as this thing forces its way into his mouth mm-hmm. so he's there you know like choking and, and gagging and whatnot, and his wife's just laid there just thankful that he's finally shutting up he might be dead but she don't care because she can finally get to sleep which just it's one of those sort of tropes that was Sort of a bit cheesy, but you can't. It's oh, still kind know. of amusing. I don't know. I can appreciate that, mate. After that weekend that me and Sharon had up in York, meet, meeting you and so on, <laughs> the way I snored that first night. I imagine if I passed away that night, she'd have been totally okay with it. 
<laughs> to be fair, the amount we drank, I'm surprised one of us didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the next scene, we get uh, we get Will Sasso, the, the morgue attendant, watching an old Frankenstein movie, and I love the I love the symbology of this. And the way it ties in with what's going on with the doctor, who's finally starting to regenerate in the uh, in the morgue, yeah, in, in, essentially in the big fridge, because the doctor's regeneration happens sort of in time with the film. You see his face is contorted, uh, is contorting and changing, and you see flashes of McGann, bits of McCoy as it as it sort of comes through, and just really cool, like playing it side by side with the uh, with the classic. Um, Frankenstein's monster waking up and I loved seeing um it almost looked painful by the way actually you see you know the face morphing into uh, into McGann but then you see the first breath and obviously it's cold in there so you see the warm breath and the steam come off yeah just a really well done regeneration if not slightly horrifying yeah and I don't know I think if you'd have said to me beforehand oh the doctor when he regenerates it, there's somebody's going to be watching a TV and it's almost like he's going to be copying what's on the TV. I'd have rolled my eyes and been like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. You know, that's, that's too, that's too coincidental too American television too. you know, that's, that's too out there. But the way it's done is so clever that I actually really enjoyed it. The, the face morphing side of things and the actual, I suppose, special effects and so on, that's not aged massively well. But again, it's 1996. It's a fair few years old. It's not, if it was just that, I'd have been a bit like, Neh. but the actual mirroring of what's on the television, like the arm dropping down and all that sort of stuff, improved it so much for me. It almost made the, the, the regeneration for me. Yeah, me too. I really liked it. And yeah, then we've got, <laughs> thing is, it goes from that and then swiftly gets very silly because uh, Will Sasso, he hears the knocking. He is a knocking. He goes in to check on the mark. Does the hello, who's there? You know, horror movie bit. Yeah. And then effectively, this newly regenerated doctor punches his way out of a fucking morgue fridge while wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. See, that's that doesn't make sense to me as well because he's literally wrapped in a blanket, and you can see he's physically holding this blanket tight around himself. Yeah. But he's punched the wall down as well, the door down as well. So how he can't punch the door and hold the blanket? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's complete bollocks. Okay. <laughs> Although, so, I just, I don't, it's just something just some that's bugged me. I, even though as much as I love this film, the whole punching his way out of the freezer thing, it, as, even when I was younger, I thought that was crap. Yeah. It's um, quite undoctor-like as well, isn't it, using that kind yeah. of... Yeah. Because not, if, if, I think in, in any other era of doctor, he'd have, just, he'd have managed to make himself hurt. Yeah. And, like, and just asked for the door to be opened. But then that then that deprive us Will, of Will Sasso's comedy fades. Well, there is that. There is that. Which, that's, that's I'll be honest, I laughed at fella. that. I laughed at because ha ha fatty fall down. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I, can speak, I, I can say that speaking as a fat lad, it is really funny when fat people fall over. I was going to say this is a big fella hit in the deck, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Christ, I nearly went. Um, I nearly, I nearly went over in Tesco car park doing the click and collect because a few few months back because you know the wind was up and all my bags got blown everywhere and I right. to, I was I was chasing after one I'm a I'm a big old chunk to get moving um, chasing after, I, I, it just stopped dead so I tried to stop dead and just nearly went just nearly face planted 
Right, okay. I, 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 I had to catch myself on my toes. And be like, oh, God, don't deck it, don't deck it, don't deck it, because I knew there was about four cars with people in it, like, watching <laughs> me do this. And it would have been objectively funny to see me, especially if I, after I'd stopped dead and thought I'd managed to hold myself, but I was, like, teetering. It would have been hysterical seeing me just plant the floor, especially as it had been raining as well. <laughs> oh, I went into a big puddle. Yeah. It, funny, right? <laughs> well, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've gone off topic. Um, it was funny seeing Will Sasso's comedy fame, though. I do like that. Um, the doctor, the, there's a lot in this hospital that is either just has no staff or is completely dilapidated. Yeah. Where, where the doctor goes, there's, there's like a room he goes to with like mirrors and stuff, but the windows are broken. And I'm kind of thinking, why is this room such a mess? It doesn't make it, it doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't mean that it's literally like they've, it's just an abandoned wing of the hospital. They said, oh, we'll just, nobody go in there. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And there's broken mirrors and so on, which, okay, it could be a storage room uh, and stuff's been a bit damaged or, or whatever. Perhaps it's just literally the mirror storage room. Perhaps that's all it is. <laughs> Except there's all sorts of equipment in there as well. That's sort of, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like they had a cool idea for what they wanted and just didn't think about the logic of it. And then yeah. we, but what I do like is that the doctor catches sight of his reflection in all the old monitors, and he's thinking, "Who the hell is that?" And then he sees himself in the the broken glass on the floor. So yeah. many reflections of his own face, which I thought was a really cool visual. Yeah, that was great. I absolutely love that camera shot. And then he sort of drops to his knees and does. <laughs> I've always had a problem with this as well. <laughs> I always found it a bit amusing because he's shouting, "Who am I?" Because he can't remember, mm-hmm. but. The way McGann says it, he said he go, he's like, "Who am?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's quite a—you uh, can see what they're trying to. They want that arty, clever, striking visual shot because he's on his knees. He's got the, the sort of semi-long hair, mm. and he's holding his arms out, and he's got the the sheets, almost like a cape, I guess, hanging off him at this stage. But it's just a bit like, I'll tell you what it reminded me of, actually, a film that came out roughly the same time as this, Certain Moments of the Crow, where oh. in the in the Crow, that there's certain moments in the film that have blatantly been shot just to get the arty visual. And I, I like yeah. that, don't get me wrong. Like when he's playing guitar in the rain on the roof and all that sort of stuff. All that, that's that's kind of the vibe I got with this moment, with a scene with, with you know the doctor on his knees, arms out, shouting into the air, with the mirrors all around him, it's, you know, it felt very much like that was done literally just for that shot. Almost like they want to screenshot it and make it into a poster or something. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's... Don't get me wrong, like the visual. Yeah. 100% necessary. No, but okay. But the next scene I do like because we see the Doctor just nicking clothes. It's great. And he comes across the scarf. That's fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. He sees the Baker scarf and decides against it. And this is all in uh, interspliced with uh, Lee. Um, rifling through the Doctor's stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, f- finding the sonic screwdriver. Uh, the Doctor pulls out a Richard Nixon mask because there's going to be a, a costume party later on. Uh, Lee finds a yo-yo in the Doctor's things. Yeah, very Sylvester McCoy. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I did like, which can't have been intentional, but Lee finds a pocket watch, which just gets me thinking about future episodes with uh, with David Tennant. Where, right. the, the, where the watch is used to conceal Time Lord identities. 
yeah clever isn't it but obviously not intentional but it's good that you can have that kind of i want to say throw back but it's not a throw forward i don't know <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know um and then everything goes very dark again because uh, bruce well the master possessing bruce is sort of stood looking out the window saying that he needs the doctor's body and for some reason his wife calls that a sense of humor um, which I don't, I didn't, I didn't understand. No, the joke. I, I, I don't know. Is that, is that American humor that we don't get? I, I don't know. I've no idea. Because uh, I can reach the lowest, I can reach the lowest level of humor, and I had no idea. Um, you know, she's basically saying, "Come back to bed, honey." And he says, "You know, my name's not Honey." And she says, "You know, call him Master." And he turns around. He's got the glowing green eyes. Just grabs, <laughs> grabs this poor woman by the throat while pressing his finger far too hard into his own face to shush it and just breaks a neck. Yeah, very, very brutal. Really brutal. Uh, and, you know, again, if I was seven, eight years up, years of age and that moment happened and you turn around and, and you get the shot of the green eyes uh, and, and that happens, that is going to give me a jolt. That is going to scare me. Scared me. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Did. Yeah. Terrified me. Um, it, but it, it's so much. Obviously, as a kid, I didn't fully understand what had gone on. Right. But okay. Now, but now that I'm older and I understand that that sound is the sound of him breaking her neck and letting the body fall to the floor. Yeah. Oof. That's a big Pretty dark. Thing. Pretty dark. Yeah. And this is where it's sort of the tone of the movie, sort of all over the place, because it goes back to Grace and, and, the, and the morgue attendant talking about the night before. Because Grace is trying to rationalise it, saying that he must have seen the man who stole the body. To which Will Sasser rightly replies that he was wearing a shroud and had a John Doe tag on his toe. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, I don't think the second coming happens here, meaning, you know, about, you know, obviously referring to the resurrection. And then Will Sasser just looks at him and is like, what, you think you'd go to a better hospital? <laughs> it's yeah. like, and he just, he just thinks, right, I'm going home. Screw it. <laughs> it's been a long night. I'm going home. Yeah, I mean, how would you react to that though? People would just think you're crazy, but you'd know what you're seeing. Yeah, just I have no idea. I've no idea, but and I love the fact as well that the doctor's still sat in the hospital. He's just sat there, apart from the fact he's got no shoes and he's still got the tag on his toe. See, that bit is fantastic. I got a note about that as well. Because again, he's he's obviously decked out apart from shoes, as you say. Uh, and I like, the, I like the way they resolved that issue as well later on, but we'll get to that. But he sat there again with, with the with the tag on his toe from being yeah. a corpse. And I just thought that was, I mean, on one hand, you're thinking, no, you'd, you'd rag that off, wouldn't you? But on the other hand, I'm thinking, that is, that, that's brilliant. It just, I don't know why, but it just really made me laugh when I saw it. Yeah, I did, it did me as well. He's just sat there and nobody's, if people have seen it, they've not meant, not bothered to mention it. But what I do like in this bit as well is that we get like a point of view shot from the doctor's, uh, vision, mm-hmm. and you can with the sort of the the distortion in the uh, the color palette and you know and just general the bits of distortion. Well, you can tell that he's still feeling it coming out of the regeneration. Yeah, and then the word again, the word time triggers part of his memory. So we're seeing we're, we're being sort of shown, not told that the doctors does have this like ongoing amnesia, essentially amnesia problem, which sounds cheesier than it comes across. But they, there has been. There's always been issues, I suppose, with the Doctor after regeneration. There's always been, you know, in, in New Who, there's been problems. I mean, David Tennant was sick for a while when he regenerated and all that sort of stuff. And Colin Baker attacked Perry when when he regenerated. 
well, when he arrived in the show, sorry. There's always been these these issues there. So I like the fact that that carried on as well. It wasn't a case of sci-fi blast, you know, wibbly wobbly stuff, and then all of a sudden, new Doctor, let's go. Yeah. It did. It did. It did lend a lot to the story. I think. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, we get a whole thing with um, with Grace, and, and she ends up quitting basically because the, uh, the head of the hospitals not having any of it, and you know, trying to essentially burns the X-ray that proves that she's right, and also, you know, he's just been a bit corrupt with it all because she's lost a patient, so she should be facing some sort of like disciplinary, essentially, mate crazy x-files vibes from that dude yeah I've, I've never watched x-files uh yeah just totally like the fact that he's in a suit and he's getting rid of the evidence and the way he went to walk away and he turned around and said something to her it was very much like the people in x-files covering stuff up and the conspiracy theory and all that sort of stuff real and of course x-files was made the same sort of time so again it's that thing of with like buffy and, and all the other stuff from the similar time it's right. it's filmed and it was more the way it was filmed than yeah. any specifics but it was just a kind of feel it's like got that 90s feel to it i suppose is what i'm looking for oh cool i do need to watch x-files i've been meaning to for years but you know it's me so i'll probably get to it in 10 years or so <laughs> um we get grace and the doctor sort of first in, first encounter with with paul mcgann um and he's there he just says Pacini to her and insisting that they met before which is weird in itself hmm and then he says something to her, which is just like, oh, that's deep. When he says, you're, you're tired of life, but afraid of dying. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot for someone to say to you when you, when you think you've just met them. Yeah. And there's a lot here that's, again, we know the situation. We know the doctor is just trying to speak to someone and, and he sees this, I suppose, semi-familiar face. But if you switch the switch this round and look at it solely from Grace's standpoint, this guy's a nut job who's following her to her car. He's a shoeless, batshit mental Englishman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was oh, so cost, got, it was a costing her out of nowhere. I totally forgot about the shoeless bit. That even adds to it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets worse because he follows her to her car. She thinks he's gone. He's just in the backseat. Yeah. He just got in the back out of nowhere. I've and then he's serial killer shit, isn't it? It's full on urban legend. Yeah. If you've ever seen that film. Yes. Where they do where they do the whole, you know, the, the man in the backseat killing. Um and then it gets worse because, you know, shoeless nutcase Englishman then starts pulling a bit of a bit of wiring out of his chest. Yeah. It's the, it's the probe that snapped the night before. But that kind of opens Grace's eyes, doesn't it, to who this fella is? Yes, because who who else could have that in his chest? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it, it again, but again, very dramatic and really well done by Paul McGann. I'm going to lay it out there now. I think Paul McGann's a fantastic actor. Oh, um, this is fun. I, honestly, I, I again, I didn't know what to expect, but my God, I love this guy as the Doctor. I want to. I, yeah. I, I would have loved it if he had a, a couple of series. Everything. Like, this guy was fantastic. I think he has, he has come. Uh, he has come back and done uh, voiceover work, and he had. He had. They did give him a regeneration scene before the uh, before the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, it was like it, I think it was about a four minute thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, um, but yeah, he would have been a fantastic Doctor long term. Um, but again, he you know, pulls his thing out. And they call it microsurgical. It's like that does not look microsurgical. 
No, that's not a fair old chunk he's wagging out of his chest, isn't it? Yeah. And he just, but he does the whole thing of uh, so telling to the Saints of Grace, get, get, get me out of here before they kill me again. And she just puts her foot down, drives this Range Rover off, and it's like, yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah. And she's probably ra- ragging that thing around in that car park, isn't she? After holding the, her hand down on the horn for ages to try and raise the alarm because this crazy shoeless dude's in the back of her car. <laughs> shoeless just. <laughs> You know, sorry, and, you're right. It just makes it funnier. Yeah, it does. It does. It's just some crazy dude with no shoes on. And then, <laughs> and then, as she decides, okay, I'm going to take this guy away. That's when the security and the police and that arrive, isn't it? They come through the door just as she's driving off. Yeah, you just bastards. Yeah, really slow reactions there. Yeah, and then we get Eric Roberts, his master, doing his best Terminator impression, walking walking up to the desk in a leather jacket and trying to sort of trying to act human and talk to the uh, you know, the nurse behind the desk, inquiring about the doctor, saying he's got orders to move him. It gets told that he's down, oh, well, yeah, I've got orders to move his body. And he's ripping off a fingernail. Yeah, or well, that's not a right. good look. I, I've, I've lost a fingernail before. That shit hurts. I trapped my hand in a car door. It's a long story. Right. Um, it was it was on, on my middle finger. And it went bruised to hell, and eventually it just died, and the whole thing fell off. But he's just ripping it off as the mm. as this, this body that he's inhabiting decays. And the nurse notices it and he just flicks it away. And she doesn't say anything. I mean, I, I would have to say something. I couldn't just sit there and be like, yeah, okay. Would you, though? Because he's been so calm and it's supposed to be somebody you know. And it's just like... She's yeah, just that's like, what I mean. That would make, that, because it's someone I know, that would make me be like, dude, what are you doing? You'd either be dead silent or be like, mate, what the fuck? Yeah, Exactly. Like if you're at one, it's a hospital, you just flick that gun nose where that's not sanitary. Um, <laughs> and, and above all else, you've ripped off a fingernail. Yeah, in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> and and this bit did this bit was a bit it was a bit cheesy for me here because I appreciate the master. Normally he dresses all in black and, and that's how they've always been up to this stage, the the, the people who portray the master. Mm. And they're going for that again, but in a sort of 90s style, I suppose. But you're right, you hit nail on the head when you said Terminator. Because he does come across incredibly robotic here. And he's, he's took the time to slick his hair back as well, which I'm not sure the master would do if he was an amateur. I, I don't know, I think he would. Yeah. Like that level of vanity for, you know, oh, somebody, yeah, I suppose. Somebody, who, somebody who's vain enough and thinks enough of themselves that they refuse to die. Hmm. And the one avert the course of nature because they think the universe needs them that much he's going to stop and do his barnet yeah no I suppose you're right I suppose you're right yeah it's, it's the, the, the thing is it, this is totally all over the place again because this this nurse has just seen him rip a fingernail off it doesn't quite add up that he's saying he's got orders to move the move the patient and then orders to move the body so he asks for his then Bruce asks for his things and says, oh, the, the, the kid ran off, ran off with him. And he just stands there and he just says, the Asian child. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. The whole scenario is a bit odd, but yeah. that, that was a bit. But, the, but this this nurse, Curtis, looks at him and says, oh, Bruce, you're sick. Like, I think, well, what? So you maybe didn't expect him to say that, but you know this guy well enough to know that you think he's joking about Asian children. But ripping a, a, a fingernail off. Well, ripping a fingernail scary. off. Yeah. She's totally cool with that. She's, she's not bad eyelids at that. But when he says the Asian child in a monotone voice, that's that's too sick for her. Yeah, but but she says it joking. Says, oh, Bruce, you're sick. Yeah. And he just looks at her and says, thank you. 
just yeah, just really weird sort of t- really weird scene tonally that one. Yeah, really odd interaction, isn't it? Yeah. Um but <laughs> talk about odd interactions, we get um the doctors uh, being examined by Grace. Uh they've gone back to her house. She finds that her ex has taken all this stuff overnight, even the sofa. Yeah. Um but she goes into full workload to, to sort of, you know, compartmentalise it and, you know, we'll deal with that shit later. The doctor clocks a painting uh, by Da Vinci saying, you know, he's saying he had a cold when he drew that. Grace says he's still fibrillating badly, you know, meaning his heart rate's too high. He moves the stethoscope so she can hear it properly. And he picks up the Puccini CD. And we get a little story of how the doctor was with Puccini when he died. Right. And saying how he didn't finish Tur- uh, Turando and Alfano finished it based on Puccini's notes. And it was so sad. And McGann's really, you can feel the emotion coming off it. It, it really does feel like Paul McGann's doctor was there. Yeah. Just in the way he comes across and sort of reminisces about it. And all this, you know, the doctor's just telling this story almost casually while Grace is having a mind blown that he's got two hearts. Yeah, it's like, and again, I I love that kind of that that kind of thing because it, it happens quite a bit in in Doctor Who, where the Doctor almost kind of forgets in a way that what's normal for him isn't normal for the human people around him. Yeah, and he's and he's just his mind's elsewhere. He's just thinking of something else or talking about something else or whatever. Completely oblivious to the fact that someone's freaking out about something right next to him. Because it, it and again, it's that kind of traits that all the doctors have i think and it's a brilliant you know a brilliant aspect to the character i suppose that kind mm. of almost forgetfulness almost you know flippant attitude in a way of concentrating on something and and being oblivious to the fact that this person next to him is having a breakdown or, or not yeah. even a breakdown a, a, a sort of you know losing the plot about what's going on and they don't twig i mean that's that shows a side of the doctor that isn't just you know, oh, the doctor cares about his companions and the doctor's going to save the world. There's like another little trait in there as well. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It really is. But then again, the the, the tone shifts again very quickly because you've got the doctor very then very seriously saying he was dead too long this time. The anaesthetic almost destroyed the regenerative process. Yeah, I love that line. I was dead too long this time. Yeah, it's badass, isn't it? But it's, it's kind of cool in that it, it, it adds an extra layer of almost vulnerability and weakness to the doctor mm. in that this regenerative regenerative process can be interrupted. It, you know, the time Lord isn't indi- effectively indestructible for, th- you know, for 13 lives. It can be, you know, the, the sort of sequence can be broken and he's, you know, he's trying to explain he's got 13 lives. Grace doesn't believe you can come back from the dead. And so, you know, she even says you can't turn back time. And the doctor's like, well, yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> again just like you said just really flippantly just like yeah well of course yeah, you can yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did it the other week for lunch yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back to when my food was warm <laughs> yeah oh that'd be handy wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. and we get a, sort of a real nice exchange where she, you know Grace is giving the whole I'm not a child don't talk to me like a child only children believe that crap you know she says she says I'm a doctor and he looks at it again it's, I don't know if it's just specific to Paul McGann's doctor but it's something that definitely comes in later on a little bit with Eccleston. He looks at it and says, but it was a childish dream that made you a doctor. Mm. You dreamt that you could hold that, you dreamt that you could hold back death. Isn't that true? And she just sort of has no comment to it. And he says, don't be sad, Grace, you do great things. As if, because this, this always makes me think of an Eccleston line. 
uh, sorry, it's a Billy Piper and Eccleston exchange in the season finale when Rose has absorbed the uh, the heart of the TARDIS and she's saying she can see everything that is, everything that was, everything that ever will be. That was a bit Bret Hart for a second. It was, um, yeah. And the Doctor says, that's what I see all the time and doesn't it drive you mad? Right. So it sort of plays into that. Again, Not it's a flashback when Eccleston says it, but it's like they planted the seeds in this movie. And I don't know if that ever is ever sort of explored in uh, in Classic Who at all. Not not to my mind, no. But then again, there's quite a bit of Classic Who I've not seen. So I Fair don't enough. know. I, I think New Who and, and so on has a lot more a lot more aspects to the to the background story, a lot more layers, I suppose. It still follows the same the same theme, of course, with regards to the Doctor, the Time War and all all this sort of stuff. But I think there's a lot more layers in New Who to what there was back in Classic Who anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think, uh, yeah, quite possibly. But I think we sort of after after that many years and that many series, there comes a point where you have to start exploring that stuff, doesn't there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, we get the... Um, we, I really like this because we, get, we actually get a scene of somebody, of Lee, checking out the TARDIS on the inside and outside. Yeah, walks in, sees the TARDIS bigger on the inside, is confused, and goes out to check the exterior. And there's a real nice change up of music because he goes into the TARDIS and it's all you know quite grand and whatnot. And then he walks outside and it's all just a bit lighter and a bit more. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's clever. And and looking around the back, I think is an important touch as well. You get that every now and again. Certain companions do that because it could just be a door that takes you through to a bigger room. But when you're checking around the back and that bigger room's not there, that'd be the first thing I would look at. Right, you know, go around the back of the yeah. TARDIS. You know, yeah, exactly. And then Lee's oddly unfazed to see who he thinks is Bruce the paramedic when it's actually the master, and he's, he's just there, sort of trying to tough it out, saying, "Bruce, don't scare me like that. This place is creepy enough." See, um, this is where I've got a bit. Okay, all right. Lee's reaction to that. You're right. I've got a note on that. It's why is Bruce the paramedic there in this weird, bigger on the inside box that he's looking at? But then also, I mean, that, that's a, that's a character thing for me. Why is Lee not freaked out more? I suppose than just going, "Huh, hello, mate." You know, rather it's almost far away. But that's the sort of character issue for me. Uh, how is the master in there? Exactly. I don't get how a, he's in there. Did he just have a spare key? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how he's there. I mean, at one point, I'm thinking, is he actually there? Or is it some sort of clever sci-fi hologram, wee-wee-beep-boop stuff? <laughs> but obviously that, because my mind is trying to figure out, okay, this kid has got the key, let himself in. But the master's already inside the TARDIS. And the TARDIS isn't going to just let him in regardless. And he won't have a key. That bothered me for so long. It makes no sense. The movie itself explains it to you. Does it? Yeah. The spare key in the reef. Yeah. See the doctor, the doctor and the master. The doctor and the master have been rivals and rivals and friends on and off for centuries. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that the master would know about the cubby hole at the top of a TARDIS for a spare key. No, okay, I appreciate the weird. the, The bit where it gets weird is. Why did he put it back? Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. where that that's where that falls down. The thing that why, why would he keep it? 
the thing that bothers me about that whole thing though is why is there a spare key there for anyone to grab hold of anyway this machine we're told can literally destroy the world and and there just happens to be a key left there obviously you've got to know where it is to get it but it, it's like a, a key to this effectively earth destroying machine and they, and they, they just leave a key outside for anyone to wander up to and I, I'm pretty good at rationalising this sort of thing. And I can't. It, it makes it, no it's, sense. Only, it's only there because the plot needed it to be there. Yeah. And it's annoying. Yeah, fair it, this, this whole exchange with Lee and the Master and how Lee effectively goes around to the Master's side through being lied to and manipulated and, and a little bit hypnotised is actually quite good. Yeah. But it's just... It just it's, why? How, you know, why and how? What's the point? You know, why is he there? They could have done this outside. Exactly. Exactly. He, he could have turned, to be honest, there you go. Problem solved straight away. He could have turned up with the key. Lee, this is. Turned up with the key. Yeah. Opened the TARDIS door. And then the master appears next to him outside and goes, oh, hi, yeah. And starts talking to him and follows him in. Or they just meet outside. The master does the whole thing with the hypnotizing. Gets mm -hmm. the bag and lets himself in. There you go. None of this bloody just appearing in the back of the TARDIS with yeah. spare key nonsense. <laughs> it's really I'll let myself in, don't worry. You know, it's that kind of that kind of thing, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Although at the end of this exchange, Lee asks what's in it for him, and the master looks at him and says, You get to live. Yeah. Chilling. Yeah. It's a bit again, really great performance by Eric Roberts. I would have loved to have seen more of him as the master. Mm. He, he does kind of soften a little bit though, doesn't he? Because he does that that is yeah. really creepy and cold and chilling, and then he turns around and just gives him some gold and basically says, "There's more of that for after as well." After he said that the doctor stole all his lives, stole the TARDIS, and used it to do unspeakable crimes like be Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And this yeah, Lee kid. Yeah, this Lee kid's just like, yeah, is that true, mate? Oh, okay, I'll go along with you then. Yeah, but I'm not you being know? funny. I'm not being funny. This Lee kid has seen a, you know, he's he's gone just walked into a room that's bigger on the inside. You'd be open to anything yeah. at that point. I mean, I'll be honest, the guy as the show goes on at the show, as the film goes on, I think it it, it does improve. But the first half of the movie, this Lee kid, I'm thinking I'm no one to critique people's acting ability, but I'm watching this guy and thinking, oh mate. You, you suck a bit, you know. Yeah. Just very wooden, very... I, I, I just didn't buy it. Fair enough. Um, I've never really considered it before because to me, Lee was... It, it was a means to an end, that character. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, between that... We, between, those, between those bits, though, we've got the Doctor and Grace going for a walk. Grace has given away a pair of Brian's old shoes. So they're wearing... You know, he's effectively wearing his shoes in. <laughs> and we get a bit that, we get a bit that annoys me. The doctor's like having flashes of memory and he's talking about being on Gallifrey and they're asking Grace where Gallifrey is and then he you know he's talking about this meteor shower and all that. And then all of a sudden he just goes, Yes, I remember you know, these shoes fit perfectly and he goes for a little dad run. Yeah. And we get the this bugs me in everything. I hate it. We get Grace looking directly at the camera with that Dopey, confused, what the hell's going on face. Yeah. That's yeah, sort of like the head slightly cocked to the side, like, huh? Yeah, it's almost like a comedy 
uh, a sort of comedy moment, like almost like you see someone in the office, I suppose, because they look at the camera in the office and sort of pull faces, don't they? That that maybe kind of in a similar way to how how the office did it, maybe. I think that's what they were going for, but it didn't work for me. Yeah, it just and every time I watch it, it bugs me. It just annoys me. No, you're um, right. I get that. Yeah, but yeah, well. Um, then we're getting, we've still got Lee and uh, the master in the TARDIS. We're going to the cloister room, which looks like a, an old chapel with an open roof because you can just see space. You mm. just see stars. For some reason, bats are in there. Yeah, that bit I didn't get. And again, it's done for atmosphere, isn't it? It's done to kind of, I suppose, yeah. give, the, give the viewer a feeling of what the place is and, and sort of the, the oldness of it and the sort that sort of gothic architecture kind of aspect to it as well. So the bats, I suppose, I can understand what they're going for. But why would bats be in there? It's a it's a time traveling spaceship machine thingy, you know. <laughs> so why would bats be in there? So not only would the doctor have to leave the doors open, the bats would have to find their way in and then find their way to that very specific room. Perhaps they use the spurky. Maybe yeah. Well, every, <laughs> other, every, every, every other every other bugger knows that it's there. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah, um, the master makes a big deal of the TARDIS liking Lee and gets him to pull the reflector staffs out of its mooring and, and look into the light. Um, and it forces the uh, it, well. In fact, the master forces Lee to look, and, and the eye, eye of harmony opens. Hmm. Um, we cut to the doctor who starts hyperventilating as the eye opens, saying something's happening, something's happening, something's happening. And it turns out he just knows who he is, and just out of nowhere, just grabs grabs Grace, kisses her, spins around this tree, says, "I am the doctor," and she just looks at him, and says, "Good. Now do that again." And kiss <laughs> yeah. again. It's like. This mental, shoeless psychopath who you met a few hours ago after killing him the night before, it's a hell of a rebound. Well, yeah, and his face is different. And, yeah, it's it's very, you know, it's an odd scenario. But, maybe, well, perhaps he's just one hell of a kisser. I don't know. Well, there is, there's precedent for that set up later, in, uh, later on in Doctor Who, but... Mm. Yeah, it was, um, it was just like, oh, okay. And again, but again, it's one of those things where does the Doctor really need a love interest at this point? But they're trying to sell it to a different audience. So, yes. they, you know, they maybe have to put it in and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. See, I've got no issue. Uh, you're, you're well aware, and, I, and people who have listened to the show before will be well aware that I don't like the whole Doctor falling in love with companions stuff. That's not what mm. I grew up watching. I appreciate it's it, it's different. It's a different world now to when I was a kid. I get all that. But I am i don't watch the show for that aspect. Yeah. However, here, the initial kiss, I've got no problem with at all. Because he's just remembered who he is. He's excited. He's being daft. He grabs her, gives her a kiss, and runs around the tree a bit and so on. It kind of yeah. fitted in with what was going on. You know, I didn't straight... Obviously, I know that there's going to be the romantic side of things coming and, and, and later on and so on. But with the initial kiss... Uh, that didn't bother me. It was kind of just, he was a bit giddy, a bit happy, a bit over the top. But yeah, so the first kiss, yeah, I get it. it, it I can see how that come back, but then it's the second one where it's just like, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I mean, it's Again, it's weird. I'm, I'm really contradicting myself because, as I said, I'm not a fan of that whole aspect of Doctor Who, falling in love with companions and so on. I mean, he's, the, the Doctor, he, she, whatever the Doctor may be at any particular stage, is hundreds and hundreds of years old. 
and a bloody alien for crying out loud. It shouldn't be a case of go running around snogging twenty year old girls from London or whatever Billy Piper was. But anyway, that's that's no, a conversation for another day. Nineteen, yeah, that's that's a conversation for another day. It, but this I didn't mind. So again, I'm contradicting myself, I suppose. But you know, yeah. just just the way I felt it when I was watching it. Fair enough. Um, but with with the eye of harmony open, that uh, Lee and uh, the master see essentially see who they're after. They see the newer generation. Uh, we get a, we get a, uh, the master doing a very over the top. Uh, that, that's what he calls himself, Doctor. Yeah. Which for some reason Americans feel they need to do when trying to do an English accent. Mm. And we see the retinal structure of the human eye saying that the doctor is half human. Yeah, this bit, uh, this is, again, news to me. I've literally got a note here saying doctor is half human followed by a load of question marks. I was like, where's that come from? And it, it has never been treated as canon in anything else since. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. I don't know why it was there. I don't know why it needed to be there. But would that then, I suppose, moments like that, would that then lean into the criticism of the movie that you, you've said it gets? Because that, that is almost giving people ammunition to to dig at it, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. And I think, but I think it was done, you know, sort of looking at it from the other side, Again, so you know, trying to pull this new audience in, the making him making the doctor a bit more relatable. You know, saying, "Oh, he's half human, mm. so he's he's not he's not quite as different as you you know as we first thought." If you see what I mean, he's not a hundred percent alien, if you like. But I don't know; it just doesn't work for me. No, no, normally it's one. It's one. It's one of the really. There's a lot. There is. There is a lot to criticize about this movie, validly. Um, in terms of the story and whatnot, and, and this is one point because it, it it's just not necessary. I mean, and again, is, sorry, carry on. Again, it's that thing of that 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 comment always half human. If you actually like break that down and think about it, that would mean that he said he says later on it's he's half human on his mother's side. So that would mean that a time lord at some point has impregnated a human lady. Yeah. And we come back to my point of this is a bloody alien. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like Yeah. It's it's very lucky genetically uh, mm. that, that could happen. Um but yeah, it's just one of those things it, it, again, it's it's an annoyance, but it's there, so whatever. And it's been forgotten about since, like I say. Yeah. Yeah. Rightfully so. so Rightfully so. Yeah. Um the doctor is now aware that the eyes open and that the the master can see whatever he sees, and he's trying to explain very quickly that it's the you know the eyes, the power source, the heart, the TARDIS. This is like going into nut job territory again because Grace is just like, okay, you just stood here with your eyes closed now, freak going on about eyes of harmony and power sources and TARDISes and you know time and relative dimension in space and this you know this rival time lord and what the hell's a time lord and wants to destroy your soul and take your body. Mm. It's a lot to take on in it, and Grace quite quite understandably decides to fuck off. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm amazed it took her that long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah madness. Um, so it's all sort of coming to a head now. You know, Lee and uh, and the master know where they need to go. The doctor's now trying to get Grace to just listen to him and, and sort of get back on side. So you know, saying through the letterbox, we can have a cup of tea and talk about it. And uh, she says, it's quite a nice, fun little exchange where she says, what time lord to earth? And he says, yes, I'm a time lord. And she yeah. says, I thought you were a doctor. And he just fires back, I thought you were a doctor. <laughs> yeah. 
see those moments there. I think McCann's brilliant because it is it is the change in tone of voice, I suppose, and the almost playfulness with it. But it's almost like he's he's having a bit of a dig, but doing it in a sort of cheeky way. And that to me is Doctor Who. That to me is yeah. Eccleston did it well. David Tennant did it well. That to me is aspects of the character, the Doctor, that I think a lot of the Doctors actually have. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's what makes it great. The, the mm. characters of the Doctor are great, um, and we get we get some we will beat boop. Okay. Next up, the Doctor's trying to prove that the uh, the molecular structure of the planet is changing. Saying at first in subtle ways as he's pressing through glass, and yeah. the glass is bending under his hand. This is in soon in catastrophic ways, and he just walks through the window. But we get the we get the nineties comedy wobble noise. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm sure you use the same sound effect a lot in The Mask, which again came out around about this time. Yeah. The Jim Carrey movie, which is brilliant. I love that film. Um, but that actually, you know, the whole walking through the glass thing and then it, you know, snapping back into place, minus the sound effect, was again pretty good for 96. It looked good. It really did. It's just that. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> when, when was Terminator 2? When was that? Uh, 91. Like, was it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Guns N' Roses did. You could be mine for that, and that and Guns N' Roses released released that in '91, so that would make sense. Yeah. 91. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is a few years after, and obviously they've not got the budget of Terminator Two, but mm. I look at that with the glass, and that reminds me of the effects from Terminator Two a little bit, and the fact that yeah. even though it's a long time ago, it's aged pretty bloody well. Yeah, it really has. Um... Yeah, again, one of the points. I just it's just that sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Grace is Grace is still adamant that she's going to take him to a psychiatric ward. The doctor's basically saying they've got three hours to save the world, so the stakes are, are sort of ramping up. Yeah. Um, the doctor's stood on the scales. He's lost twenty pounds in twenty minutes, so he's obviously concerned. Grace is saying he could make a fortune in the weight loss industry. Give me five. Um, <laughs> You hear on the news that there's flood warnings in Nevada, it's snowing in Hawaii, and the news presenters are saying scientists say it's due to minute changes in the Earth's gravitational pull that happen once every thousand years. Mm. And the doctor's just looking on. And again, this this sort of feeds into the Y2K thing, which is why I asked. And the doctor says, I love humans, always seeing patterns in things that aren't there. And he's looking at it like people would look at like puppies playing in you know in a garden or something. <laughs> It's, yes, exactly. It's, it's, just, it's a nice moment where he's just like, oh, these, look at these little things. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like that. And then they see on the news about the uh, the atomic clock, which by coincidence is exactly what he needs, and it's at the Institute of Technical Advancement and Research. Yes, and, and it kind of, the, to me, I don't, you've seen this film, God knows how many times, Dan, and, but to me, watching it the first time, it seems like we had a pretty good pace from from the start of the film onwards it was you know we were going back and forth between what the master was doing what the doctor was doing and we had the whole the doctor trying to discover who he was and so on mm. and i think when it comes to the pacing of it it's like we've discussed before here on the show with certain episodes of classic who tend to drag in certain points and then certain certain moments in new who sometimes stories get concluded too quickly because they've only got one episode and so on pacing mm. of a show pacing of a story is, is very very important i think here the pacing i think has been done incredibly well up to this point and then it just accelerates it just takes off but it works because it's building towards the climax of the film 
yeah, it's, it's building to a crescendo rather than rushing to get there. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the and, and to that end, the, the ambulance arrives, and guess who's driving it? It's the master. Oh, it is. Um, the doctor either doesn't clock him or just refuses to acknowledge him. It's it's half ten now. They've got an hour and a half to save the world. So they're in the back of the ambulance. Uh, they're talking about Doctor and Grace are bickering, and she's uh, she's trying to pass it off to um, you know to this paramedic saying, you know, like he likes me to call him a time lord, and you know trying to diagnose him saying, oh Freud had something for that name, and, and the master knows it's transference. And then we get another again another sort of brush another sort of brush with history thing where the doctor saying at least Freud would have taken me seriously. Yeah, and uh, saying, oh, did you meet him as well? And so we did meet. So oh, of course you're a time lord. And she says, did you know Marie Curie too? He's like, yes. And she says, did she kiss as good as me? Which is an odd question to ask in the circumstances. <laughs> and then and then the, the then the master outs himself straight away by just putting in just saying as well as you. Yeah, just completely correcting her English. That was fantastic. Oh, right. See, I took that as meaning that the master somehow knows that Marie Curie is as good a kisser as Grace. Oh, okay. I took it as was correcting, <laughs> correcting her English, like the way she worded it. Oh, I've never had that read on it. Because at this point, because uh, I think that's enough to make the doctor think, wait, who is this guy? And then the ambulance stops abruptly and the master's glasses fall off. Oh, he's got the old green eyes going on, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's when the doctor realises who he is. Hmm. But the reason, the reason for the... The reason for the traffic jam is one of the silliest things I've ever seen. There's loads of chickens on the road, and the people are just putting them on the back of a, a, an open lorry, or like an 18-wheeler. Yeah. That's sort of jackknifed in the middle of the, you know, it's just like across all the lanes. Yeah. Why were chickens being transported like that? I don't know. I don't know. Very strange. I can't figure it out, yeah. No, also, where would they be going? Yeah. At half past ten at night. Yeah. It's bizarre. It but anyway, the, 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 the master's got his glasses back on at this point. The doctor has a great line, the world's about to end and I'm stuck in a traffic jam. And he, <laughs> he gets the glasses off the master, Grace sees him for what he is, and the master then spits some sort of acid that gets around. Yeah, going back to, almost going back to like the snake kind of thing, isn't it? Spitting the venom, that kind of aspect. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And the doctor then uses a fire extinguisher on the master, you know, in a, in a very wrestling sort of, uh, <laughs> sort yeah. of way and the flee through the traffic. And, but for some reason, the fire extinguisher is really hurting the master. Maybe the cold. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, it, it, like I say, it goes for, it, it's just really quick at this point. Mm. The doctor, the doctor and Grace get stopped by a cop. The doctor tries to go into his pocket and the, as soon as he sees the doctor going in his pocket, the cop goes for his gun and Grace has to tell the, the guy to stop the doctor doesn't understand how much danger he's just put himself in because he's he's british <laughs> again that got me like that got a laugh out of me i enjoyed that yeah at which point the doctor offers the the copper a jelly baby mm-hmm. great touch and then nicks his gun and threatens to shoot himself if they don't yeah. get let past see the jelly baby throwbacks as well there's a couple of them isn't there throughout the movie yeah i really yeah. i really enjoyed that you know, again, it's the same as the the same as the thing with the scarf and so on. I, I really, I like. Those I really movies. fancy. I really fancy jelly babies now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I, I, I love a jelly baby, but my partner's have too many. It makes my teeth go funny. Yeah, it's the starch on them. Oh, is it? 
Yeah, I think that's what it is. Anyway, I'm going to go get sweets after this. Um, <laughs> we get like a very impassioned sort of plea from the doctor for Grace to help him, saying, I came back to life before your eyes. He didn't. He regenerated in a freezer, so that's bullshit yeah. for one. But he's pointing out that he held back death, and he can. He, he said, I can't make your dream come true forever, but I can make it come true today. You know, for the dream to hold back death, and it's just like, well, you've kind of already done it. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace takes the the gun, fires a warning shot, and they nick the police bike, and we get a we get a car chase scene. Yeah, on a massive, huge American motorcycle, which is you know, it. I think that looked pretty cool with the lights on and the doctor just yeah. ramping it through the streets and so on. That looked quite good. And the ambulance following him as well, which only happens because the master's just sat there like, why are we sat still? And Lee's just always, the road's still boxing. He's just like, this is an ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's like the, it's like there's so many of these, isn't there? On, on, in like sort of comedy movies, I guess. And so on where you've got the big villain, but then the sidekick's a bit of a dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. I got that kind of feel from that. I quite like that though. Just this is an ambulance. And he gets we've got the sort of dramatic thing of the doctor driving into oncoming traffic and between two between two big lorries. Um you know, and then you know, driving on the railroad tracks and all that. Yeah, so then the uh, the ambulance peels off as he knows a faster way, and it's basically a race to get to this uh, this institute. But we yes. get another weird little a funny little exchange between the master and Lee. And uh Lee, uh, Lee says, "Oh, you kill me," you know, as in you know, makes me laugh. And the, and the master looks at him. You want me to kill you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by this point, I'm thinking I like these two. I'd watch more of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the master is like a, almost a pinky in the brain situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they were quite good together, especially when you know Lee's trying to say, "No, no, don't kill me." I just mean, you make me laugh. You're a funny guy. You know, we'll get there. We're a team. And then Eric Roberts. <laughs> Yes, we're a team. <laughs> yeah, Just really well delivered lines. I'll tell you what, I, really I, I didn't even, I didn't even think of it. But Pinky and the Brain, Dan, that is uh, that's, that's genius. That is so accurate to this relationship. <laughs> how this relationship yeah. works at this point in the film is that is spot on. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, just nice little lines like that. Just really, Eric Roberts as the master would have been fantastic. Yeah, long term. Um, then you know the doctors, as I said, they're riding on the train tracks, and he does a does a sick jump back onto the road, and it's just like again you get a bit. We've had a few bits where it's like totally all over the place, and I think that's reflected in sort of the the relationship between the doctor and Grace at this point, because mm-hmm. he's gone from star craving nut job to her wanting to to kiss her, you know, to kiss her again, to star craving nut job. And now she's saying, I finally meet the right guy and he's from another planet. Yeah. So it, 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 there's so much of this movie that, that bounces around in tone and, and, and like I said, this relationship sort of bouncing around. It's, a, a lot has it, happened in, in Grace's life in the course of 24 hours. You know, she's yeah. split up with her chap. She's effectively killed someone on the, on the operating table in her mind. Yeah. Her chap has took her sofa. Um <laughs> <laughs> And then she's met this other dude who is putting weird stuff out of his chest, has two hearts, and now she's got this big battle to try and save the world all in the course of, of a day. That, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I can see why a Brit thinking might be a bit scrambled. Mm. When you put it like that, I get it. Yeah, yeah so that's, I mean, you know, the biggest thing is when all this is over 
and she goes back home, she's got nothing to sit on to have her dinner. <laughs> you know? But she's still got a dining table. Well, yeah, I suppose. What she wants to watch Teddy, though? Bit different. Yeah. Well, but there we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure she can afford a sofa. She's a doctor. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm not concerned anymore then. <laughs> <laughs> um, they make it to the Institute, but the ambulance is already there. Just as luck would have it, Grace is on the board as trustee, so just signs them into this this do. Yep. That they weren't that they weren't necessarily invited to. Um so <laughs> there's just like a real like poor face security guard who just blocks them from going to see the atomic clock. And she, you know, she tries like the board of trustees land and he's just deadpan, just nope. Yep, he is not budging. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to make um they're trying to make small talk so they don't appear weird, but Doctor starts banging on about time lords and regeneration, all the rest of it. And he's <laughs> yeah. about to he's about to reveal a secret when this Professor Wag comes up. And he's, you know, so oh, is there any chance? Oh, he's introduced as Dr. Bowman from London. As if being English and being from London explains all the weird shit he does. Um, which I, I kind of get. I've had, yeah, I can I can see me trying to swing that as well <laughs> if I was in America. Yeah, fair point. And he, he does he does the whole I'm half human on my mother's side. Yeah. Which sort of gets uncomfortable laughter from Wag and he leaves, which is kind of good. But the doctor's nicked his access card, so the doctor's a bit of a pickpocket as well. Yeah, he's good at that, isn't he? Yeah, he had the yeah, gun away as well. Yeah, the sleight of hand and, and all of mm. that. And one thing I did like was they get offered champagne and Grace is like, Yes, I need a drink. And he just drags <laughs> her off and she's she, she, like he's like champagne's like, ooh, Grace, oh, <laughs> Just let me have just let me have one drink, please. <laughs> Shouldn't she need it, like you said before? Yeah, yeah. Eventful day, mate. Eventful day. Yeah. Um, the doctor extracts his, the doctor extracts the part of the clock that he needs. They make a uh, an allusion to the the good things in small packages joke. Yeah. Um, which I just quite like because they don't outright say it, but the doctor's just like, yeah, they say that on my planet too. <laughs> 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 which is all you know worth a chuckle. And they get stopped by uh, another security guard, and uh, is you know asked to see what's in the doctor's hand, and it's a jelly baby. Brilliant. Um, and then he tells Gareth to pick the second question on his midterm, not the third, because the third may may look easy, but you'll you'll mess it up. And uh, we find out that Gareth's going to go on to design an accurate system for predicting earthquakes that saves the human race many times over. But first, he's got to pass his poetry class. <laughs> See that when they, when he starts talking that way, choose the second question, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I'm thinking, what the hell is going on now? Yeah, you know, but again, it's, it's, part, it's but it's part of this character trait that they brought into the Doctor at this point that he can see the future effectively. Mm. He can see how things are going to play out. So I kind of, yeah, it's it's a, it's a quirk that I quite like. Yeah, it's like just little throwaway comments that ultimately. Again, it's it's a tiny little thing. I'll just pick this question instead. But the repercussions yeah. of that are gigantic. It's the, the butterfly effect. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Um, Lee and the Master spot Grace and the Doctor, so they've got off run. And then they find all these gunked up, um, frozen in place uh, security guards. Mm-hmm. The Master's obviously got some, you know, be thankfully only got your wrist. And one of them falls and the gun fires as he falls over, which, you know, that's, I think that's, it feels like something I've seen before in other, in other movies, but I can't pinpoint exactly where it was. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's odd because obviously they're covered in this stuff. 
and it's supposed to, to me I, I took this as it's supposed to be this kind of striking image of these people that have been, that have been effectively frozen they're killed off or whatever but all mm. I could think was oh, it looks like they've just been kind of sneezed on yeah <laughs> you know yeah it does a bit it's not not the best visually but it, it kind of fits in with what we've seen before from, yeah. from the master yeah um, then the doctor triggers a fire alarm to make things more interesting they barricade themselves in a door tie a fire hose around themselves and escape over the roof yeah go full on die hard then don't they with the yeah. fire hose <laughs> just see the doctor and Grace <laughs> see the doctor and Grace being lowered down just as a cop car pulls up and they, they land on the roof yeah and that was quite cool point, yeah but at this point, the score, I realised how good the, the music's been throughout this this movie. The score at this point is like this real like heroic music. And yeah, one of the, one thing I can't really follow in this film is the soundtrack. Okay. I just I don't I just think they pretty much nailed it. Um the uh, Grace is asking for you know pointers on a future or you know just asking to know what outright happens. And we get a, another one of those sort of very doctor moments where he says the universe hangs by such a delicate thread of coincidence it is useless to meddle with it unless like me you're a time lord yeah <laughs> I, I don't know why, i've always loved that line yeah it's very I, I suppose it's the wonder of time travel and so on the way he explains it as balancing by a thread and so on and then finishes in a very grandiose almost arrogant way of but i can do it yeah, it just, it just really fits with what we know about the Doctor as as Doctor Who fans who have watched other Doctor Who, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's one of the moments in this movie where you're like, yes, this is this is the Doctor. Hmm. Yeah, and we've got something now that I know you'll appreciate. They they do the whole thing with the cubby hole above the door for the spare key, and then there's a, a runaway police bike for reasons. You know, the driver's yelling that he's got no brakes, and it just drives straight into the TARDIS. Yep. And you, you hear the siren going off as it gets further and further away. And he's got time to turn around and ride out. Yeah, that, that tickled me. I enjoyed that. I knew you'd like that because you, you loved seeing the uh, the interior of the TARDIS in uh, um, in the uh, the 50th anniversary special that we covered. Yeah. When Clara rides in on the motorbike and, and all it's that. It's brilliant. <laughs> I just love yeah. it. I've, I don't know why. Perhaps it's the whole motorbike thing. I don't know. But it's just cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, you're right. It absolutely is. Um, they're in the TARDIS there's a, the whole bonging sound signifying that the TARDIS is dying the Doctor fits the beryllium chip and then Grace says the TARDIS looks low tech yeah <laughs> and then and and the Doctor oh go on I thought the Doctor was like going to go proper ranty at that stage I got no, again I've got nothing to base that on but I thought he was going to be like really offended and get really cross he does kind of put her in a place that says, Grace, this is a Type 40 TARDIS, able to take you to any planet in the universe at any date in that planet's existence. Temporal physics. Just like a bit of a clap, a bit of a wee-woo-beep-boop clap back. Yeah. And this is, right, this is... Grace responds with, oh, you mean interdimensional transference? That would explain the spatial displacement we experienced as we came in. And he looks like, yeah, if you like. How does she know that? I know she's smart. I know she's a doctor. She's a surgeon. But the thing is, what she, the way she explains it, again, there's like I, I would say ninety five percent of the words in those in those in those sentences I don't fully grasp. But the way she explains it kind of did make sense to me. And I'm not any, I'm not a surgeon or a doctor or a, a, a physicist or anything like that. But you're right. How would she have been aware of that? But I've got an issue with that sort of thing coming up as as we sort of travel towards the end of the movie. I got a few points with regards to Grace and how would she know that? Yeah coming up as oh, well yeah. so and I know exactly where they'll be um, 
but the uh, the brilliant chip shuts the eye of harmony. But the doctor still can't start the TARDIS because for some reason he said we've got till midnight. But I'm guessing that's the definite cut-off point of oh shit, things going south. Mm. But it says time has no context. Now, in a feature that I wish they'd kept in New Who, he runs essentially looks looks forward in time and sees the sees the the solar system in the ceiling of the TARDIS. Yeah, and sees it all blowing up. I love that. Yeah, that looks great because you've got the, the the sort of control, the column of the control board almost pointing up to what's going on above them, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I really wish they'd, they'd kept that, but then they eventually settle on a plan to jumpstart the TARDIS by feeding the power from the eye into the console itself and, and going back in time and stopping it all. Um, then the Doctor's asking for uh, for a neutron ram, and Grace smacks him with a hammer because she's been possessed. Yeah, the old black eyes and yeah, yeah. look pretty cool and evil. Oh yeah, totally. That. I mean, that's that. I, mean, I think it's a really simple, straightforward thing to do, but it is really effective. Just having like the black eyes, it's just like Whoa, that's that's horrible. Yeah. Um, then we've got Doctor strapped to a gurney, being wheeled into the cloister room. He, he sort of comes around and he's he's looking at Grace, saying, "This is no time to play doctors and nurses." <laughs> Grace here though as well. She's obviously got the the, the 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 contacts in the black eyes and so on. So that makes her look considerably different. But she's done her hair different as well. Oh you know, yeah, she, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking she's possessed, and and it's coming to the end of the world. Would just stop and fix your hair. But she's possessed by the master, and as we've established, the master always has time to fix his hair. Mm. You'll explain away anything like this, won't you, mate? You're, anything oh, to but, save them. <laughs> no, do you know what? There's a premise for it, and we're going to get to it very quickly. Because okay. um, Lee, in the most no-shit Sherlock moment ever, says no good talking to her, she's possessed. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Lee, Thanks, but mate. we know. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they have a whole thing of saying, you know, Lee's siding with the master because he's going to make him rich. And then the Doctor... Uh, says, you know, we'll, uh, what was it? You'll have nowhere left to spend your money. And then you hear the master saying, so we have no time to waste. And the doctor says, but time to change. And then Eric Roberts sashes in in full time Lord Regalia saying, I always dress for the occasion. Yeah, he looked. That's nice. why, that's why, you know, he'd always stop to fix his hair because he had time for a fucking costume change. Yeah, that is a fair point. Uh, and I get that it's like the Time Lord gear and so on, but I just got huge Ming the Merciless vibes from him here, from the Flash Gordon yeah. movie. Yeah, a little bit. You know, and, and all, all that almost that kind of sinister air to the guy as well crosses over to that. But yeah, mm. it's almost like it's almost Dracula-esque as well, to a degree. Like proper evil, sinister villains I'm getting from this costume change. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it very much suits the character as well. Yeah. Um, so as we're sort of rapidly going into the end of the movie, we're seeing sort of spliced in the the, the fancy dress party that we, we'd alluded to earlier, the uh, the Institute party that's going on as well, but the clock won't start. And the Doctor's now shackled with his hands above his head and his eyes being held open by these, this metal device and forced to look into the, the reflection from the staffs that we'd seen earlier. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to talk Lee. Uh, sorry, he's talking to the master um, and trying to talk Lee round, um, saying about last chances and 
the master lets slip that he wasted all his lives because the doctor. And at that moment, the con, you know, the con's up and Lee's not believing him anymore. So he refuses to open the eye. Yeah. So Lee's finally finally got his head round it. And you think, oh, there's a bit of hope for the kid yet. And then the master sort of swans over to him saying he'd never lie to him. He'd only protect him and just snaps his neck. Yeah, just done. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's like, whoa, 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 okay. Um, Let me have a think. Uh, So the master's dressed up. Ah, we just got it to uh, where the doctor, where master was, um, master had snapped Lee's neck. Yes, okay. Um, I'm just going to say, I think we might have to do the the second recording later on because I need to, uh, by about half past, I need to go walk the dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that, mate. As time was getting on, I thought we'll do the second recording there another day or something. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, we'll figure out because I'm still figuring out when to do um, when to do UTT next week and what we're going to be doing. Right. Um, so, but I'll keep you posted. I mean, uh, yes. I suppose, I suppose worst comes to worst, we just do the sort of the roundup episode next Saturday or Sunday and then we can yeah. start the season two the next, the week after. Yeah, yeah. Same. And then we'll you know we'll have a couple of weeks where we're not releasing anything, just to build stuff up in the bank anyway. Yeah, yeah, if you want to do it that go, way, yeah, brilliant. Go from there, like yeah, well, whichever. But we got we got time to get I mean this comes out Tuesday and then we'll, you know we can record again next weekend to get the last one done with a countdown on. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Cool. Right, so we'll we'll crack on then because uh, I want to get something to eat as well. I'm starving. Yep, no worries. Um, Right, so uh, so yeah, Lee, he's broken Lee's neck, which is a moment of utter, utter bastardry. Um, but the doctor right upon us, how will you open the eye now? Um, gets Grace over, but Grace's eyes aren't human. But for some reason, the master decides that the best way to remove Grace's possession is to go full in and kiss her. Mm. And I don't know if he's just doing that to fuck with the doctor. Or if he's just a dirtbag, or both. It's not just a kiss, though, is it? He's literally sucking her face off. Oh yeah, it, yeah. That was it. Was it was one quite descriptive enough? Was it what I said? Um, it's <laughs> he like proper goes in on that, doesn't he? It, it's it's yeah. It's like trying to suck poison out of a wound. Yeah, yeah. It's not not pleasant to watch, to be honest. Um, but the star uses Grace's eyes, you know, which is doesn't know what's happening. Forces her face over the um, over the reflector staff and starts the whole process of transferring uh, his consciousness to the Doctor's body, or vice versa. Um, but I think the whole thing when the Master's up there and like he's sort of stuck in place as the process is happening, and when you see him later on, his face start changing and all that. I think that looked quite good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, at one stage when it when it just started, I I was thinking, oh, okay, this don't look, this don't look fantastic. But as it developed, I was like, okay, no, this works. I like this. Yeah, um, we get another badass line from the doctor because he's trying to get Grace to, you know, as a sight's gradually coming back. Um, he's telling Grace what they spoke about before, you know, about you know rerouting the power and and program it like an alarm clock and all the rest of it. And she says, she yells, "You'll die if I leave you." And the doctor yells back, we'll all die if you don't. Mm. Which I thought was just a really cool line. Yeah, brilliant. Because it, it, it shows, again, the sort of the gravitas, the seriousness of the whole situation, doesn't it? Yeah, and as, as the process is going on, the, there's lightning storms kicking off everywhere. Uh, the master's almost orgasmic because he's absorbing the doctor's memories and all of this. And he just got Paul McGann again very dramatically with his eyes being forced open, saying, this can't be how it ends. Yeah. 
please stop, you know, giving it all that. And I think this might be where uh, one of your problems comes about because Grace just starts ripping wires aimlessly out of the console and just starts fiddling about with them. Yeah. And I mean, it, it gets to a stage where, I mean, it's almost like she's doing maintenance on it for a start. Yeah. And then it gets to a stage where she's almost, it's almost like she's piloting the TARDIS in a way. Um, I wouldn't go that far. She's just trying to restore power, but even then, how would you, how would you know where to start? Yeah, exactly. Because, well, how, how does she know? How does she have this information? Well, they've said about, you know, said about, think of it like an alarm clock. I've never had an alarm clock where I've needed to pull the wires out and piss about with them. <laughs> no, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crap. Um, but she, she does what she does. The TARDIS goes into a temporal, temporal orbit, and we see various scenes and landmarks, scenes we've seen in the film and landmarks from around the world being sort of sucked into the eye of the TARDIS. And it's sort of all interrupted by the TARDIS being in this temporal orbit. Grace runs to ask what the hell a temporal orbit is, which is a perfectly valid question at this point. But again, it's kind of all over the place because she knew all that before. She knew how to rewire the TARDIS, so why doesn't she know what a temporal orbit is now? Yeah, that was a little bit of uh, another one of those scenarios where to me it sort of, uh, I suppose, swings back and forth a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's part of that sort of pendulum effect that's just swinging, you know, it's swinging backwards and forwards, like you say, throughout the film. Um, but she's trying to get the Doctor out of the shackles, but she's interrupted the the process of the Master's now free and can move. And the first thing he does is launch her over the balcony and smash her into uh, into the sort of the, the base of the Eye of Harmony. It's a think, massive wallop, isn't it? Yeah, I think it. I think it kills her. Yeah. Um, the Master tries to smash one of the reflector staffs into the Doctor, and he's booting the Doctor into the ribs and trying to force him into the Eye. And again, another badass line. You want dominion over the living, but all you do is kill. And then the master just sort of snarls at him. Life is wasted on the living. It's two great lines. That, that, yeah. Yeah, the back and forth there. And again, this is, I think, where... I'm, I'm not saying that English writers or, or classic who, new who in this country and whatever, it can't do this. But that mm. almost came across very much American action movie dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit... But, but it, it worked, it was great. It, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, the Doctor boots the Master off him, and the Master then just dives at him. But the Doctor uses the reflector staff to blind the Master, making him miss, and he gets sucked into the eye. But even then, the Doctor's offering the Master his hand to try and save him. Yeah. Yeah, which again, but, again you know, I can understand, you know, pride, etc. But surely if he's going to die, you'd reach out and grab the hand, wouldn't you? But at the same time, would the master would the master's ego suffer the doctor? Yeah, saving you're right. Again, it's like this pride, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, pride and ego and all that other stupid bullshit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, the the graphics, sorry, the 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 special effects are a little bit ropey, but good for '96. Mm. Um, With the master disposed of, the doctor then carries. He basically carries Grace and, and Lee's bodies and places them at some, somewhere in the cloister room and turns the clock back on the TARDIS to 30th of December, 1999. And this somehow brings both Lee and Grace back to life. Yeah, that bit I didn't quite understand. I mean, the Doctor says, oh, the, the TARDIS is a sentimental old thing. So perhaps the TARDIS just wanted to bring them back to life, but then it makes you think, 
if the TARDIS can do that, why hasn't it done it for other people in the past or the future or yeah. whatever? It kind of, it works for the movie, but in the bigger scheme of things, does it work, I guess? Not for me. No. Not for me. And also, in this bit, where the fuck did all them leaves come from? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing the same place as the bats. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> just one of those weird things where it's, a, it's not a bad visual, but it doesn't stand up to much scrutiny when you think about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Are we overthinking things? I don't yes. think we are. I'll be honest. I, no, I don't think we are. I, 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 I think it's a case of if we're noticing them, then they're noticeable and they should be discussed. But are we reading too much into it, this sort of stuff? Should we just sit there and take it all at face value? I don't I don't know. I, I did say earlier, it's, it's kind of, it's better if you don't think too much about it. Yeah, okay. If you just sit there and let yourself be entertained. And, and don't like go looking for it all. But then I've watched this a bit like uh, the episode Blink, where when we covered that, I've watched this so much that all this stuff glares out at me now. Mm-hmm. But I don't want my weird little nitpicks to sort of tarnish the movie for you, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that that, sense. I, I, I don't think I don't think they would. To be fair, because I know I know you well enough to know you'll enjoy it on its own merits, regardless of what anyone thinks of it. Um, yeah, it was just a weird thing. And we get we get the Doctor and Grace in, you know, how did it feel to hold back death? And they have the big hug and leaves just in the background like a proper third wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Eye yeah. of Harmony, the Eye of Harmony closes, we get the sentimental line for the TARDIS. And then uh, we get, I think it's Lee says, did we go back far enough? And the Doctor says, either that or I'm talking to a couple of ghosts and I don't believe in ghosts, which mm. I thought was quite good. And then I, I think it must have been Grace asked where the Master is. And the TARDIS rumbles and the Doctor just says indigestion. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. Because it, it, it has swallowed the Master up, hasn't it, effectively? Yeah, well, it's, it's been, the Master's fallen into the TARDIS's power source, which I suppose yeah. could be similar. Either way, funny line. Um, they're just sort of trying to figure out what to do now and where to go next. And uh, the Doctor checks the future on the ceiling and it's all good. And then he points out Gallifrey, which is... 250 million light years away, which is a good 10 minutes in this old thing. Uh, referring to <laughs> I enjoyed that as well. I really yeah, like just There's a lot of really nice sort of little bits at the end of this, which is just sort of pretty, it's nice and feel good, uh, really. Um, but they don't want dropping on the 29th as they wouldn't live through it again. They don't want to live through it again. Uh, the Doctor takes them to the 31st. There's a, sort of a comedy springing noise as the TARDIS stalls. And the doctor just takes a second and then just taps it in the right spot and it gets it, it gets the old thing working again. It reminds me, I think I've told the story before on a different podcast. That little thing he did there reminds me of an old Renault McGann that my wife had when we first got together. <laughs> yeah. Start the car up and if and then turn the radio on, the electrics were cut. So you literally have to punch <laughs> the dashboard and the electrics would fire back up and you're not enough you could go again. So oh brilliant. Absolute death trap, but brilliant. Oh, yeah, 100%, yeah. But, you know, it, it took us hundreds of miles to different festivals and whatnot. So, yeah, it served us well, that, my gal. <laughs> Faith, faithful old friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the we get a repeat of the Millennium Countdown. We see Gareth from before. He, he gets, a, gets a little kiss on the cheek and goes all shy, bless him. And we see, the, we see the, the other security guard just completely emotionless still as all these streamers and fireworks are going off and celebrations are going off around him. Yeah, but if you were hiring a security guard, you'd hire that guy, wouldn't you? Oh, he's brilliant. 
He's he is, so good. He is He's there job. to do a job, and that is it. He's doing his job and nothing else. <laughs> he will. He will not be partaking in your revelry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the Doctor, Grace, and Lee are admiring all the celebrations and the fireworks and everything. Lee gives the Doctor his stuff back, and he, he tries to give the gold back, but the Doctor says for him to keep them. Mm. Which I, I didn't mention this earlier, but. It's a re- this answers a really good question about Doctor, which I've, has always been in the back of my mind. Where does the Doctor get the money from? And it turns out he just keeps me cubby holes around the TARDIS. Yeah. Maybe that's what some of the circular things are, the little little safes. The round things, yeah, little yeah. money pods, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Lee, Lee, as most people do, he, he decides to piss off before the Doctor changes his mind. Um, and the Doctor, again, he, he's got this foresight or you know knowledge of the future. He says, says Lee, next Christmas... Take a vacation. Just don't be here. Mm, so I'm assuming he gets involved in some kind of, well, accident or potentially some sort of uh, gangster issues and some, yeah, well, something well, goes wrong for him one way or another, doesn't it? Sadly, we'll never know. No. Um, then Grace actually declines um, declines knowing anything about the future because she knows who she is and that's enough. She's, you know, a brush with death sort of, Taught who, you know, like I said, taught who she is, which fair play. And then they have a really sort of, I don't know if it's quite awkward exchange where the doctor asks her to come with him. And then she fires back with, no, you come with me. Mm. To like have a proper, you know, what quote unquote proper life, you know, regular human life. And the doctor says it's tempting. And then she looks at him, she, she knows he ain't going to go. And she just looks and says, you know, I'm going to miss you. And they have that exchange and, um, he kind of has a, the doctor has kind of a flippant line saying, How can you miss me? I'm the guy with two hearts. Yeah. Um, well, I weren't too sure about that one. Yeah. It, it, it was kind of, it's the sort of thing that somebody does, and I know this because I do it, where it's an awkward crap joke to try and get a bit of comic relief in, in, a, in an otherwise either awkward or tense situation. Yeah, I get you. So I, I understand that. Um, and the kiss again as the fireworks go off and I've said again, it's, it's an incredibly quick sort of falling for the doctor. But when you pointed out all the stuff that's been going on in the mad 24 hours, um, and they are, you know, if they are trying to appeal to a broader audience, they do kind of have to put that in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole fireworks going off behind them as they kissed was, was a bit, was a bit too much the, for me. A bit on the nose. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, that was crossing a line a little, I think. Yeah. And then the final exchange between the two is quite nice, though, where Grace looks and says, thank you, Doctor. And he just looks and says, no, thank you, Doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that. The Doctor gets in the TARDIS. He's, he's flying. He's, he flies off. He's working on the console. He's listening to the same song as the start of the movie. Oh, this sits bit I down. loved, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. When he sits so, down with a cup of tea. Yeah. In the same place we, we saw um, Sylvester McCoy at the start of the film. The doctor, Paul McCann, goes and sits down in exactly the same place, same chair, cup of tea, everything. And I thought that's—I don't know why, but I just thought that's that's bloody brilliant. Yeah, it's it's just everything's coming full circle, and then the record skips in the same place again, and all you hear is the doctor say, "Oh no, not again." Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's just it's it's cheesy, but it's a nice way to end. Yeah, I mean. It's a real shame it. Well, I, I don't know actually. At first glance, I think it's a shame it didn't get picked up because I'd like to have seen more of, of Paul McCann as the Doctor. And mm. 
ultimately it'd be interesting to see where it would have gone and how it would have been dealt with and controlled and just how it would have operated with an American production team behind it. But mm. if it did get picked up, you probably won't get new who that we have now. Yeah. That's the, that's so, the trade off, isn't it? And I wouldn't want to trade new who for anything to be fair. No, no. And to be honest, I, I saw how an American production company handled Torchwood um, when they did Miracle Day. And that was just not, nowhere near as good as anything else Torchwood ever did. Okay. Um, it was like a 10 part series that just felt like, it felt like they were trying to do 24 with a veneer of time travel. Right. Okay. And sci-fi. It just, it just wasn't great at all. The Torchwood's something, as, as you know, Dan, I've seen nothing of, so I'm going to have to sort of get into that at some stage, I think. Yeah, Torchwood, I think, well, I think our mate Marty has, has sort of been putting out his, his rewatch of it on, on Twitter, and he, he sort of says it best. It's like, as soon as it, as soon as Torchwood stops trying to be overly sexual and, and sort of hammering home, this is for adults, it's not Doctor Who, then it hits its stride and gets very good. Right, okay. It takes a few episodes. But season two is fantastic. Season two is by and large really good. Season one's good, but not it it only gets really good on occasion. Season two is really good throughout. Season three, the five part Children of Earth, I've said before on this podcast, five of the best hours of television I've ever seen. Particularly for sci fi. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, well, we'll see what happens. I imagine down the li- a little while down the line, me and Marty might end up having a Torchwood podcast. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, we'll, uh, but we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know how we got onto Torchwood then. But no, there we go. No, we, we, we kind of sometimes always do. We sort of drift off into Torchwood, and stuff, even though I've never seen it, it's quite funny. Probably starts by me always saying, "I've never seen that," so, and that's how we get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think with with this as well, it, uh, we were talking about um, if if the series had gone gone through. Um, Marty mentioned on Twitter uh, as we've been recording, he's actually sitting down to watch the movie now as we record, and um, he, he pointed out that this was set up to to go on because you see at the, at the start of the film guest starring Eric Roberts, guest starring Daphne Ashbrook mm-hmm. indicating that they wanted to go ahead with this. And, you know, with the master being in the eye of harmony and maybe not dead, there's space for him to come back. And they've, they've set up a lot with, you know, with Grace, maybe coming back to the show, you know, going back to see Lee and the doctor's off on his next adventure. So, yeah. Yeah, but you know we got New Who in the end, and it all worked out well. And, and Paul McGann did get to do his, you know, he's done some of the sort of the side projects and the miniseries and, and the non-canon stuff. And then he's done, you know, he got his regeneration scene. So, yeah, yeah, again, the same way, same way with Sylvester McCoy ties it all up in a nice little bow. I think doesn't it? It does. It does. So, I did put out speaking of Twitter before. I did put out a, a little tweet today um, asking for our followers' opinions of the movie. Yep. Uh, which I think we should do before we uh, before we get to our own opinions. I'm um, just bringing those up now. Uh, the first respondent was uh, was Matt Willis uh, at the Matt Attack UK on Twitter. Give him a follow. Great source of information for all things football and all things nerdy. Um, short and sweet from Matt. It's brilliant. I can see why someone would like it though. And that, that, kind of, that kind of very succinctly sort of sums up where I'm at with it. Yeah, um, okay. But then we had uh, we had Marty as well, Marty, at Marty Junior Five. 
saying that he's not watched it in years but remembers liking it, mostly very campy and perhaps tries too hard. Uh, not of the general new who stand would stand but loves Paul McGann, so it's a thumbs up from him. I think when we get to my thoughts in a moment, I think you're going to see quite a few that run parallel with what Morty said there, to be fair. But yeah, carry on, Dan, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Uh, Benny Mack, uh, never heard of him. Heard he does some other time travel show podcast. Yeah, um, some fat bloke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Benny Mack with three ends on uh, on Twitter. Uh, what I took from this movie is that Sylvester McCoy spends about 30 to 40 seconds in America and gets shot. Um, <laughs> which, he's, he's not wrong, isn't Benny? That did happen. Uh, we had uh, at official AB underscore pos. I'm sorry, I don't actually know your name. We've only interacted on Twitter a couple of times. Uh, saying, don't know if I'm late to the party. You weren't. Uh, they thought it was okay. Liked where they were going, but remember being almost apoplectic, apoplectic when the doctor kissed Grace. The doctor does not fall in love. And then with an asterisk, restarted series happens. Ten and Rose happens. Well, crap. So I've softened on it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, and that was uh, so. We just got a few responses there. Um, just actually unanimously positive, which I don't know just speaks to our um, you know sort of the, our little corner of the internet that we've cultivated, um, but not as uh, not as sort of d- diverse opinions as I'd have thought. Really, no, no. I, I was under the impression that a lot more people hated this, but again, I oh, suppose I- we're. We're sort Sorry, of shouting yeah. into an echo chamber, aren't we, I guess? Yeah, we are a little bit. I, um, I, I, I would, I'd got a bollocking if I'd have missed off uh, my uh, my, pod, my other podcast partner, UTT Rob. Uh, absolutely love it. I wish we'd seen a Paul McGann series and we'd seen more of Eric Roberts as the master. Yeah, which, I can agree with again, that. Again, I, I can only echo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it with the positivity over the, uh, the movie. But, mate, what did you think of it on your first viewing? Yeah, okay. Well, very quickly, as we kind of draw to a close here today, my 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 thoughts are quite straightforward. I enjoyed it. Ultimately, I, I would watch it again. It's not... I think the order in which people have seen things can sometimes influence their thoughts. I think the fact that you saw this before New Who gives it a more special place in your heart than it has with me. Because... Yeah. I would rather watch something from New Who than the movie because I saw New Who first. However, McGann's fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Master, whereas a little bit campy, a little bit cheesy at times, is brilliant. I'm not a fan of Lee's character. Grace gets a bit annoying at times. Mm. And there's a few plot holes that you and I have been trying to explain away here today. But I'm kind of getting a bit, I suppose, nitpicky there. Overall, I enjoyed it. I'd definitely watch it again. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, brilliant. I'm, I'm glad I actually took the time to sit down and, and, and check it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to. Uh, I'm glad that I and this show have been sort of a, a catalyst in you, uh, in you doing that. Um, it's great to have another person on board the, uh, uh, on board the positive train for the movie. Um, because, as we said, it, this is one of my nostalgia comfort blankets from when I was yeah. a kid. So I've got incredibly rose-tinted glasses. I like to think I've been fair to it um, throughout because it does have its problems. Everything, everything does. There's very little that's you know that's perfect in any uh, in any TV series or movie or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on pretty much everything there. I think 
Oh, and, and like Rob said, I would have loved to have seen more of Paul McGann as the Doctor and Eric Roberts as the Master. Um, I think the Lee character could have worked. I think both Lee and Grace suffered from the writing and, and having them sort of be whatever the plot needed them to be at certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But, okay. There was de- but there was definitely more scope to have um, the, the Master and Lee double act. Yeah, that I enjoyed. Lee... I'm indifferent to uh, at the start of the movie, as I said, I wasn't too fussed on. It, it, it was a bit of a knobhead at times, but the master and Lee, that's what it's all about for me. That was a great on-screen partnership there. Yeah. And it says a lot that it stood out so much when they actually had so little, effectively so little screen time, you know, when they were having that back and forth. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. No, excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So then next week, we have nothing in particular to review other than our own first season. We're going to be taking all 13 stories or 14 stories that we have looked at, um, placing them in an order, and then Dan and I are going to compare our countdowns from our least favourite to most favourite of Doctor Who that we have reviewed in our first season. I'm really, really looking forward to this, Dan. Yeah, I can't wait to see um, where everything ranks on your list because I know at least one episode where I think we're going to both be absolutely on par with each other and on the okay. same wavelength but the others the other thir- the other 13 are completely up for grabs yeah i've got no and again i've made my list already i guarantee that's going to change at least 10 times before we sit down to record again i'm going to try and and not look at mine again until maybe an hour before we record right just okay. to see if i just to see if i still feel that way because i've actually got it in front of me now and i can already feel the itch of wanting to switch <laughs> stuff around <laughs> But, but not no, but not knowing exactly what should move where. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, okay, no, no. before we depart, my friend, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and all the other shows you're involved in, whether that's on Twitter or anywhere else? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date, or tweeting about random episodes of Doctor Who that I feel like just live tweeting occasionally. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, where we, myself and UTT Rob, as mentioned before, uh, look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at UTT Podcast. Uh, you can also hear us on Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times and career of Tank Abbott in WCW. That's a niche within a niche within a niche, but we have fun doing it and like to think it's a fun listen. Uh, you can find us uh, find that account on Twitter at UTT Tank, and both podcasts can be found on all good podcast platforms and probably some crap ones too. Indeed. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. And if you rather use Facebook, then you can find me there at SJP. All the shows and info is the group you need. And both of those points of contact are where links to all the shows I'm involved in get shared. So that's The Waiting Room, a Quantum Leap podcast that I do with Benny Mac that we mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, Nitro Nights with our good friend Scottish Danny looking back on WCW one show at a time in order chain wrestling, which is currently going through a spell of having a few guest hosts before hopefully Mr. Mags returns very, very soon live on a Monday night via the radio techers, YouTube and Twitch channels. And there's a podcast version that comes out later in the week, if you would rather. And then of course, this show, most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter 
at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. But yeah, at SJP words all over the place for my other stuff. Damn, season one is coming fast to an end. I'm looking forward to our, our countdown show next week. And then, you know, talking about plans and so on for season two. It's been an absolute blast, mate. Oh, season one's in the bag. It's bittersweet because it's it's always a bit um, a bit weird coming to the end of a, of a project, but it's been an absolute blast, and I cannot wait to get cracking on season two, buddy. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. I feel exactly the same. All right, and as always, I guess uh, Dan, I'll speak to you next week, and to everybody else, thank you for listening. Bye bye. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai, and this is... Uh, fuck it, I'll do that again. 